of a name. I've diagnosed some people I think has been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime a Welcome to this week's episode of Criminy. We're your hosts, Matt and Ange. And we're still trying to figure out audio, <laughs> so bear with us. Yeah, apologies about last week's episode. I'm Apologies learning. all around. We're learning. We are not audio technicians. Audio technicians? We're not technical by any means. Mm, yes. So, thank you for bearing with us through our horrible audio sounds and we hope this week sounds a little bit better we're hoping to get better that's the goal so without further ado yeah tell me something fucked up i go first it's the 44th episode oh i saved that wrong okay um okay so heads up everyone this is a real bummer sorry if you can hear that okay sorry this is a real bummer of a case and um I don't mean to brag, but oh. I have a library card now. Oh, that's true. You so, are an official member of the Borrowing Book Society. And if you're in the U.S., get a library card. It's fucking awesome. And I was reading about this story, and they mentioned a book. So I was like, obviously, oh. I'm going to see if I can find it at the library. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, the copy they have is one you can't check out for some Whoa. reason. But they had it online, you know, for like a Kindle or whatever, or uh-huh. you just like read it on your computer. So I got all my information from a book Whoa. from the library Whoa. that I like sped read in like two days. Holy shit. Yeah, the book is called By Their Father's Hand by Francis Monty. And if you want like the real story, read this book because it's fucking crazy. Oh, the title alone is disturbing. Dude, it's the more I wrote, the more the more I read, the more I was like, Disappointed I shouldn't in yourself do for this. Choosing this, <laughs> this is like fucking awful. But anyway. Okay. All right. So it begins on, well, I'm going to start it on March 12th, 2004. Okay. Sophina and Ruby go to their uncle's home at 761 West Hammond Avenue to get their children. Seven-year-old Jonathan and seven-year-old Aviv. So they knew that it was going to be a struggle to get the kids and that he, like, wasn't going to give them up easily. What? So, yeah. So they bring some family members wait, to help out. Wait, these are their kids? Yeah, their seven-year-old just, children. Just watching? Oh, just wait. So they bring some of their, like, male family members to kind of, like, be support. And if things, like, go bad, that they could, like, be there to be, like, the strength, basically, to get their kids. Okay. So they also brought their children's birth certificates to prove that they had every right to like get their children because their names were the only names on the birth certificates. It proves that they're the mothers and they like that they're their kids. Okay. Okay, so their plan was that Are these are these women a couple? Or are they just no. they each have a child that this uncle? They has? are sisters. Ah, uh, not sister wives, just sister sisters. Well, <laughs> okay, so their plan was Sophina was going to be the one to go in the house and get the kids because she would regularly bring the family groceries and money. So it wouldn't be so suspicious if she if she was the one that would would go into the house. Okay. And then when she got to the house, her uncle Marcus and her sister Rosa and her cousin Sabrina, 
who was 25, they were outside working on the family's school bus. So the family had like this giant bus that they were renovating and it was like parked in front of their house. And the, the girls were like working on it day and night. So Sophina walked into the house and she like saw her son in the front room and she like grabbed his arm and it was like, come on, we're going to go. And then her cousin, Kiani, so there are a lot of names in the story. Yeah. It's going to be hard to like keep them straight. It's, a whole and this, it's like a big they, family. They're all living together on the same property? Yeah. Okay. So her cousin, Kiani, who's 27, she was like, what are you doing? And Sophina's like, I'm here to get my son. And uh, her sister was like, you can't do that. And she grabbed what? Jonathan's arm and they're doing like, she like pulls him behind her. And then Sabrina was like, get out of my house. Like, you need to get out of here. You can't do this. You need to get out. So then outside, Marcus sees Ruby and he's like, we need to get your passports. And Ruby's like, what the fuck? What, what do you need my passport for? And he's like, we get them every year. We need to get your passport. Every year? Yeah. And then. That's not normal. No. And then. So then one of the family members that the, the women brought with them had a tape recorder and he hid it in his like shirt pocket. So he recorded the whole thing. Okay. It's all on tape. So he starts like recording and then Ruby's like, I want my daughter. And Marcus was like, you can't take her because that's kidnapping. What? Like, yeah. So then he's, he's like super calm this whole time. And he's just like, come on, like, just talk to me. You know, you can't take her, like, whatever. So inside the house, Sabrina and her 17-year-old sister, I think it's Liz. It's short for Elizabeth, but they spell it L-I-S-E. Lisa? Yeah, I don't know how to... Yeah. I'm going to call her Liz. Okay. I don't know. So Liz and Rosa, they... They lead the small children to the back room. So Liz, Rosa, and Sabrina are sisters. Uh, Ruby and um, Sophina are sisters, and they're cousins. Okay. Okay. So, so they like they bring the little kids into the back room. So the kids there was four year old Ethan, and then the two seven year olds that the women were coming to get. An eight-year-old Illabel, and then two babies. Illabel. Yeah, two wow. babies named Jeva and Marshy. Jeva. 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 Yeah, J E V A. Are these Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, something like that? We'll get into that okay. too. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, there's this huge scuffle happening, right, inside the house and outside of the house. So Marcus is at the front door, and he's calling to Sophina, and he's like, "Sophina, come here. Like, we need to talk about this. Come here." And then. Sabrina and Kiani like follow her to the front house and they're like bow down to your master's feet and they like point to Marcus's feet and she's like what the fuck are you talking about like what, what is happening right now yeah what so is then, happening right now so then the two girls go to the back of the house again and Sophina tries to get her son out of the back room so she like she goes to the door and she likes pushing on the door to get in and she like wedges herself like partly in the door to grab her son and then her her sister or sorry, her cousin, Rosa, like, pulls her away and gets her out of the room. And then, so over the course of this dispute, like, the family has called the police five times. 
the first time they're like, please come, we need help, like there's this dispute happening. And then the second time they're like, it's getting more violent, like we need you to come. And then at one point, like during one of the calls, the dispatcher actually laughs and she's wow. like, she's like, oh yeah, it's getting like more dramatic what or whatever. Or he, I don't know who, what gender the dispatcher is, but. They better be fired. They were basically like, they're basically like, oh yeah, now apparently there's like, they're like violent or whatever. But really it's like a domestic violent situation that's clearly going to escalate, escalate, you know? <sighs> okay. So finally the police show up. It's been like, I don't I'm know I'm surprised long, they but... actually showed up because in my experience, they never fucking show up. Either. Yeah. Well, they found They finally show up. Okay. So the police officer is like, what's going on? And the women are like, we're trying to get our children. And, and then he's like, okay, well you have to give the women their children. Like, I yeah. don't see what the deal is. You have to give them their children. And then Marcus, he's like, well, they gave me custody. What? And they're like my children. So I'm not going to give them up because I have custody. And then the guy was like, okay. The police officer was like, okay, well... Did the court, like, do you have a piece of paper yeah. saying that these are your kids? And if you don't, then these are, like, the yeah. women's kids. They need their kids. You need to give them their kids. And then he was, like, stalling, basically. And he's like, no, but this doesn't make any sense. Like, we just need to solve this. Like, we need to, like, talk about it. But they're, like, I have custody of the kids. They gave me their kids. Like, they gave me their word. And the guy was like, okay, well, their, their word, word and, like, a handshake and stuff, that doesn't matter. Like, yeah. it's their children. What? So then another officer shows up because, like nothing's happening so he's like trying to move everyone like away from the house and kind of like de-escalate the situation and he's like what's going on and they were getting nowhere because marcus was just like basically stalling and like oh we just like like we'll handle this ourselves basically like you know there's no need to like get police involved like what the hell is happening yeah it's crazy okay so then the police they like they're each like what the fuck do we do so they're like okay we'll bring in the sergeant so they call in their sergeant and their sergeant comes by and their sergeant was like, okay, well, if you guys can't settle it, and if you're not going to get the kids, we'll call CPS, and CPS yeah. will come settle it. Yeah. And CPS is Child Protective Services. So he he basically, like, warns Marcus. He's like, look, you either settle this now, or we're calling CPS, and yeah. we're getting the children out of the house. There aren't any other children in the house, right? It's just these two. We're going to get them, whatever. And then, in the meantime, he, like, calls the city attorney to ask if they could go into the house and get the kids. And the attorney's like, no, not without a warrant. Right. So then he's like, okay, I'll just call CPS. So he calls CPS. By this time, more family members have shown up. So uh, Sophina and Ruby's mom shows up, and she starts, like, yelling at the girls, like, what are you doing? You can't do this. Like, you need to leave the kids here, whatever. And she, like, swings at Sophina, I think, and punches her in the While stomach. While the cops are there? Yeah, so the cops are, like, trying to separate them. And yeah, so like, and then I think um, at this time, Marcus's sons come and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And they're like people going in and out of the house, like yelling and arguing. And it's just like crazy. So then at some point, Marcus like steps inside the house away from the front door and his wife, Elizabeth gets home. And so she goes like to the back bedroom and she opens the door and back there, she saw Marcus holding their daughter, Elizabeth, mm-hmm. Liz, Little Liz, I don't know. And then Sophina noticed that that Marcus wasn't by the front door. And so she starts yelling at the cops, like, you need to get in there now. He's going to kill the kids. You have what? to get in there now. And then, and then shortly after this, Elizabeth, the mom, runs out of the house yelling, they're all gone. They're all gone. What? And then she, like, faints. What? 
So then the SWAT team arrives. What? And an officer yelled for Marcus to come out of the house because they don't know what's going on. Yeah. And then he, like, one of the officers is, like, looking into the house and it's, like, really dark and he sees, like, the shadow moving and he thinks it's Marcus. So he's like, Marcus, you need to come out of the house, like, right now. You need to come out. And then finally he comes out of the house and he's covered in blood. Uh... So they handcuffed him and then they went into the house. And this dude is a huge dude. He's like, I feel like he's like almost six feet tall. He's like close to 300 pounds. Like he's uh... a huge fucking dude. So the police like go into the house and it's all dark. And they walk down this like dark hallway and then they go into the back bedroom and the bedroom is like all dark. So they're shining. Like one police officer is like shining a flashlight to kind of like assess the scene, like what's happening. And while he's shining the flashlight, he sees coffins. What? Leaning up against the wall. And then another officer switches on the light. And when he does, they see a stack of bodies. What? One on top of another in the corner of a room. What the fuck? And a huge pool of blood on the floor. What the fuck? Yeah. So the two bodies on the top were that of 25-year-old Sabrina and 17-year-old Liz. Lise. What? And the officers, like, obviously go to feel for signs of life. Uh-huh. So they're, like, grabbing arms. They're, like, reaching into this pile. But they don't want to move anything either because it's a murder. Crime scene. Right. So one of them, as he's, like, reaching into, like, all these, like, bodies, he counts five victims. Uh, another one counted seven. What? And it wasn't until they started to remove the bodies from the scene that they found the last two and the smallest so there were nine bodies in total. What? The victims were Kiani's one-year-old daughter, Jeva, and eight-year-old daughter, Ilabel, Sabrina's 18-month-old, Marshy, Rosa's four-year-old son, Ethan, and 18-month-old daughter, Sedona, and then seven-year-old, Aviv, and seven-year-old, Jonathan, and... Um, and then Sabrina and Liz. They were all shot in the eye. What? No yeah. one heard gunshots during this time? Well, it was a 22 caliber gun. And so people heard different things. So, like, the women outside said that they heard, like, popping noises. Uh-huh. The police at the front door didn't hear anything. A neighbor said that she heard, like, gunshots. But it's all, like, they're not really sure. And then later on the recording, they're like... They're like, here, you can hear, like, the gunshots at this time. But then they're like, okay, but it was in his pocket. Like, what if there was, like, a pen or some th- something in the pocket that could have, like, touched the recorder and made the noises? No. So it's all very disputed on when the shots were fired. Right. Like, were these kids killed before? But then she, like, right. grabbed her son, like, right before the cops came. Right. So was it done when they were, like, arguing and Marcus was at the front door? Was it done when Marcus, like, left the front door and no one and saw him for a while? And you have that many kids and no one's screaming or, like, mm-hmm. running or trying to get away? This guy's just shooting them in the ass? So this entire situation lasted for 80 minutes. What? From the time the women like showed up to the house and then like the cops Mm. come and then this whole thing. It was 80 minutes. So now we're going to go back to the very beginning of how this all happened. Uh, Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. So Marcus Wesson was born in Kansas City, Missouri on August 22nd, 1946. He was the first of four children, two boys and two girls, of Carrie and Ben Wesson. Uh The family moved around a lot because they were always being evicted. 
mm-hmm. because Ben was an alcoholic and he was like abusive and he would have several odd jobs and then they would like you know be evicted and have to move and he got a pension from being injured in the military during World War II Carrie was a Seventh Day Adventist uh-huh. she was also the disciplinarian of the family mm-hmm. so abusive right uh, she worked as a nurse, and she was, like, so religious that she would conduct Bible studies during the week for, like, her family and for other people, I'm sure. Mm. And she was writing, she was, like, rewriting books of the Bible in a way that children, like, 12 and under could understand. And she was focusing on the book of Revelations. Oh, okay. That's so, a good one to focus on. Apocalypse, mm-hmm. End of Times. And then, like, the book of Daniel. And then she was also, like, obsessed with these, like, writings of a Mormon or Seventh-day Adventist. What are those? I think they're Mormons. I think they're Mormons, right? Um, Anyway, there was a, whatever religion that is, there was a, um, like, a prophet or something mm -hmm. that had writings that she was, like, also trying to, like, translate. Okay, so they move around Kansas City, and then they eventually go to California, and they go to, like, L.A., and... They're, like, San Jose. Like, they're all over California. So when they're in California in the late 1960s, Marcus's grandmother, his cousin Larry, and his niece Patricia move in. So then, okay, so this this whole story, like, the book was written really well, Mm -hmm. but because they move around a lot, it's kind of hard to get, like, a a chronological series of events. So a lot of these, like, dates and times are kind of, like, confused and vague. So, uh, in the late 1960s, they move in. So, the dad, Ben Wesson, begins a relationship uh-huh. with the 18-year-old nephew, Larry. Excuse me? Yeah. With his nephew. And then, and then the nephew, Larry, and Ben eventually, like, leave the family and move into a home in San Jose together. What? He's, like, in his nephew him and his nephew are dating yeah which makes me think i mean his nephew is like you know 18 i don't oh yeah so he's been that's not yeah that's like not okay and then someone else would later testify that ben wesson like a friend i think he was a friend i'm not sure his relation to the family but he when he was like a young man and he'd like go and hang out with the wessons ben wesson like made advances on him when he Mm. was young and then one of his daughters so one of Marcus's sisters basically hinted that he was a pedophile and was basically like, oh, well, he was like, you know, he would like get all touchy with the kids and then we'd have to like run away and go hide upstairs or whatever. No. Yeah. Yeah. So this family is fucked up. Okay. So then 10 years later, after he moved out, he moves back in with the family and they all go up to Washington State. So Marcus had some friends growing up, but he wasn't like, he was kind of a loner uh, and he never really graduated from high school. He like went to the 12th grade, but for whatever reason, like he like walked with his class, but he never got his, he never like fully yeah graduated, which I don't understand, but maybe because they moved around a lot, he didn't have like the credits or whatever. Right. So even at a young age, his friends remembered that he was always trying to, like, convince other people, and he was, like, a little brainwashy. Mm, well, he grew up with that. Yeah. He, like, uh-huh. really was, like, adamant that people, like, see his side of everything. And um, he was also trying to, like, t- from a young age, tell everyone, like, why polygamy was the right 
way. Mm-hmm. And then, so he said that he was a member of the Seventh-day Adventist church, like, always. And the church was like, no, 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 he wasn't. We don't have records of him being, like, part of our church. What? But, like, one of the reasons why they think that they were trying, he was, they were, like, trying to separate from him because he was obsessed with David Koresh, who started the Branch Davidians. Uh-huh. He, like, thought that he, like, knew what was up, you know? And we oh all know boy. that dude is, like, fucked oh up. Oh, boy. So they were, like, kind of just, dis- they're trying to distance from that. Yeah. And then they were just kind of, like, yeah, no. Yeah. So on June 22nd, 1966, he joined the Army when he was 19. And he ended up driving ambulances in Europe during Vietnam War. The Vietnam War, which I don't understand how the military works. Europe. Like, ship people places. Yeah. Okay. It's like a war is happening, and then they station you, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. So then, he was honorably discharged in 1968, and then he went back to San Jose and took some college classes with the GI Bill. And then he began a relationship with a woman named Rosemary. She was 13 years older. Oh, oh I thought you were going to say she was 13 years old. Just wait. Oh! She had had children of her own from a previous marriage, Uh and the family was living on welfare. So at this time, nobody was working. Mm -hmm. And Marcus and Rosemary had a child together that they named Adair in March of 1971, when Marcus was 25. So he had his first kid at 25. Okay. Then, so he was trying to be, like, the boss of the family and, like, all the kids, and he was trying to be, like, super controlling. But one of Rosemary's sons, Jesse, was, like not having it and he would always stand up to Marcus which resulted in Marcus abusing him he like beat him up and hit him with things and And he's like that'll make you want to comply so then Marcus began sexually abusing Uh, Rosemary's 14 year old daughter Elizabeth okay that sounds more right Uh Elizabeth got pregnant oh god and so Jesse confronted Marcus and was like how'd my sister get pregnant? What the fuck is happening here? And Marcus beat him so badly with an electrical cord that Jesse wouldn't shower at school. Like after football practice, he wouldn't shower because they would see how beat up he was. And then a family friend reported the abuse at some point to the police. So Marcus was like, oh, I got to get out of here because I get in trouble for this. So then he's like, he was basically like, I'm going to take my son, Adair, if you don't give me your van. What? So Rosemary was like, okay, fine, take the fucking van. You're not taking my my son. But he took her daughter, Elizabeth, and they headed out on their own. Oh, ew. Marcus married Elizabeth ew. in 1974. Ew. She was 15 and he was 27. Oh, my God. She had their child, Dorian. And then in the next four years, they had four more children Adrian, Kiani, Sabrina, and Stefan, who died at birth in 1979. Mm. The couple lived in San Jose at first. Elizabeth dropped out of high school, obviously, and homeschooled the kids. Marcus got a job as a teller at Wells Fargo, but soon he decided that he didn't want to have a job, and so after he left that job, he vowed to never work again. That's a good vow. Yeah, with like (laughs) a million kids. Jesus. Neighbors at the time noted that the kids never cried and that Marcus was super controlling and very manipulative. Mm -hmm. Four years after Marcus and Elizabeth were married, they met a pregnant woman named Illabel Lee. Oh, God. 
She met them at a Seventh-day Adventist church, and they all became friends. At some point, Marcus started a relationship with her and tried to convince her to be his second wife. And Illabel was, like, in a really rough place in her life, so he, like, kind of convinced her that, like, polygamy was, like, a good idea. I'll take care of you with my non-existent job and all my child brides. Yes. Yes. Okay. At some point, like, it didn't work because Elizabeth wasn't comfortable with it, and she didn't want Illabel to have any Marcus's kids. And Illabel felt like she would always be, like second she was never like close to like the level of elizabeth right because uh-huh. elizabeth was like the first wife she's like the most important and then at po- some point like marcus was like oh well you can basically be like her servant that way she'll what? accept you and you can also be my wife and she's like yeah no i don't think that so doesn't sound like a good thing for anyone well for well no yeah it just doesn't sound no like it would be beneficial so, at all so illabelle i think eventually she like moved in with her brother at some point and then got her life on track but by the early 80s, a friend noticed that Marcus had, like, really gone off the deep end. He was, like, he was always kind of, like, you know, weird or whatever. But at this point, he was so controlling that his children were not allowed to socialize with anyone. And around 1987, so this is this is kind of confusing, like, the timing of all this. Okay, so at some point, Elizabeth's family is all living together in a duplex, and Marcus's son with Elizabeth's mother was living there with aunts and uncles and grandparents and cousins. Like, everyone's living in this duplex. And then the Wessons move into the duplex's downstairs part. And so while there, Elizabeth's sister Rosemary and her children move in too. What the fuck? How big are these duplexes? I don't think they're big. I don't think they're big. I don't know how it's all happening. So her sons were the first to move downstairs with the Wessons. And then her daughters ended up moving down there too. And like I read, mm. Rosemary struggled with like drug addiction, uh-huh. like drug problems. So she was probably like, okay, well, the kids are better off, you know, having a stable family. I don't know. So, so while they're like living with Marcus, Marcus is like super controlling. They were no longer allowed to eat meat or anything with sugar, they couldn't watch TV. The girls were not allowed to wear pants, oh. and their skirts had to go to their ankles. Ew. They had to wear long sleeve shirts Ew. and cover their heads with scarves, and they couldn't wear anything with prints or patterns. <laughs> they also had to pray three times a day, where Marcus would deliver hour-long sermons, sometimes two hours, and if the children fell asleep, he would spank them. Why, like the little why kids. Why is it that these like severely mentally disturbed people... Mm-hmm really really hold on to religion and uh-huh. i mean it's a good way to manipulate people but it's like it's a great way to manipulate it just people. goes to show what kind of people religion attracts yeah it's like very sick people who feel like they want to control other people yeah it's a huge control thing like if you want to be religious be religious but you're not but allowed to tell to other people to be religious yeah, like keep that shit to yourself no one wants to hear it yeah dude like that's a private that's your private life yuck Okay, so at this time, no one's working. Uh-huh. They're all on welfare. And Elizabeth's sister, Rosemary, would share her welfare money and food stamps with Marcus. The oldest girl, Sophina, was 11 at the time. And she was forced to stop going to school and to homeschool the other children. At 11, at she's 11, teaching children? At 11. What the fuck do They're you like, know at 11? They're like, you've had enough. 
education you can teach children. Wow. Okay, well, yeah, you got to keep them ignorant and stupid so that they'll follow your dumbass rules. Yep. The girls were also separated from their brothers and cousins. Like, boys and girls were separate. Mm. And they even had two separate couches, one for the boys and one for the girls. Well, because, you know, he just assumes that they're all like him and they're going to just, like, start raping and molesting each other. Because he did, so why would they be any different? Exactly. So when the girls were teenagers, they were no longer to go out allowed to go outside. Outside? They had to ask permission to go into the backyard. What? Uh-huh. The boys, on the other hand, once they finished their chores, they could go outside and skateboard and, you know, live it up. And and the Rosemary started to slowly fade into the background until one day Marcus told Sophina that he had custody because their mom was like, you can go ahead and take my kids. I'm sure that happened. Well, it could have. Because like I said, she struggled with addiction issues and she may have been kind of like, I can't even take care of myself right now. Like, you go ahead. Plus, he's so controlling and manipulative. He probably like, you know, was like, oh, don't worry. I'll give them a good home. I can do better by them than you can. And she was like, okay. So... Marcus started molesting Sophina when she was 12, and he started molesting the other girls, Kiani and Ruby, when they were eight. By the end of the 80s, the Wessons had 11 children. He had 11 children from, like, getting his children pregnant? No. I think... I'm not sure, but I think... So they have... Elizabeth had 11 children, Holy shit. I think. The 14-year-old? It's all confusing. Yeah, well, she had her first baby when she was 15. Yeah. And then, like, basically every year she had a child. Oh, God. Fuck. Okay, so I don't know. I don't know if they're including, like, Sophina as, like, their children. I'm not quite sure. Like I said, it was, like, kind of confusing. So at that time, Marcus moved his family to the Santa Cruz Mountains he got a prefab home and some land, but then lost them. Uh, good. Isolate them further. And then he got a rent-to-own situation on some land that he turned into a campsite. Oh, great. So, also around this time, Marcus was convicted of welfare fraud. Uh-huh. He had bought a boat that he was going to convert into living quarters for his family. Excuse me? Yeah. It's like a beached boat? Like. Well, he got a boat for $14,000, and he was going to pay $500 a month. To the owner, and then he had the boat moved from Marin to Santa Cruz mm-hmm. Harbor, and there he had it registered under his friend's name because he knew that he wasn't allowed to buy boats with welfare money. You're only allowed to like pay for like homes. That's yeah, include, like that's like and shit, not yeah, buying a that's like an extra boat. expense yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you know what needs a boat. Okay, so he, unless you're a fisherman, he did make the mistake of signing the owner's report, so the welfare department found out about it. <laughs> they took him to court. And the jury found him guilty of welfare fraud Mm -hmm. and perjury, which are two felonies. So they had to sell the boat and then use some of the money to pay off of pay off unpaid docking fees at the harbor, which was around twenty three hundred dollars. So crazy. Okay. Also, the residents of Santa Cruz started to take notice of the Wesson family and how the children weren't in school. Yeah, they're like, there's so many fucking kids, but none of us have ever seen them in schools. And at this time, like, Santa Cruz is super liberal, and it's a pretty small community, but they were like, mm-hmm. even, they, they stood out in even Santa Cruz, like, back in the 80s. So clearly they're like, 
weird. Well, because, I mean, even San, like Santa Cruz, sure, it's liberal, but they're liberal with, like, I mean, UC Santa Cruz is right there, so they're, like, intelligent liberal people. Yeah, like, they see what's going on. You need education. So, you can't just have your kids running around. Well, walk. they also noted that the kids were often, like, looking through the garbage for food. Mm. And that his wife and kids would follow him around. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, he would dress in a long brown cloak Ew. and carry a staff. Ew. And then he would, like, try and, like, espouse his, like, culty beliefs as he was, like, walking around. But no one was listening. They are like, yeah, like, dude, you're a weirdo. weirdo. No. In his so, burlap sack gown. So someone reported them to CPS. Good. But they moved around so much that they were, like, really hard to track down. Mm-hmm. So in 1995, his daughter Kiani and his nieces Ruby and Sophina were all pregnant <gasps> by Marcus. Oh. And people started to ask questions. Nasty, nasty people. He had had marriage ceremonies with Sophina and her sisters Ruby and Rosa, Ugh. and his daughters Kiani and Sabrina. So basically, he was like, We're all married now. You have to be faithful to me. God wanted it this way. He said that he waited until they were 17 oh, and nice. a half to impregnate them. Oh, that's so nice. So he wouldn't be accused of statutory rape. Well, that's kind. Even though that wasn't the case with all of them. Anyway, he's such a fucking creep. Okay. So, so Elizabeth claims that she had no idea that this was going on and she didn't know who the father of her children, or the father of her children's children was excuse because me you she all was live like, in a small house and yeah. you you know that this man raped you as a child yeah. and impregnated you but yet you don't know that he's doing that to yeah. your children and then at some point like she was basically like well i didn't ask who the father was because teenagers get pregnant like i got pregnant as a teenager teenagers get pregnant and it's rude to ask who the father is yeah you got pregnant because you got raped yeah. by a creepy old man yep so she said, because her brother, Jesse, he was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, your yeah. children are pregnant. They don't go out. They don't see anyone. You don't think Marcus is doing this? And then she was like, no, no. They've been artificially inseminated. What? By who? Jesus? Yeah. I don't know. So. What the fuck? She was just making excuses. And he was like, what the fuck? You're out of your mind. So. Well, I mean, when you stop your education at, like, 14 and you have a kid, like, yeah, you might Plus, think that. It's just all he's been, been like, telling Plus, she's been, like, brainwashed yeah, since he, she was 14. Exactly. Yeah. And before that, even, when he was, like, controlling the whole family. So then later, Keani testified that she thought that she was a surrogate mother for Elizabeth because Marcus told her that Elizabeth was past her childbearing years. At what, 17? I don't know. And then Keani said that she had, like, kept it from her mother. So they were like, yeah, it's, like, mom didn't know. We didn't tell her about it. Like, we didn't talk to her about it. But that there's, like, conflicting stories about that. Okay. So anyway... So the family moves to the Santa Cruz Mountains where where they have their campsite. So Marcus had constructed an army tent house for them. Oh, how kind For of his him. wife and their 13 children. A tent. A tent. For 15 Which, people. Which, yeah. So apparently it was like a pretty, compared to the other places they lived, it was like pretty large. <laughs> they had like three separate rooms. In a tent? Yeah, well, it's like a huge army tent, so I don't know. Okay, yeah. Okay, but, okay, so they have no running water, so they had to fill jugs in Santa Cruz and then, like, bring those jugs of water back to the mountains. Each child had their own bunk, and there were three sections divided by zippered walls. Mm -hmm. So there's a section for the boys, one for the girls, and then there was, like, a living room kitchen area where Marcus and Elizabeth also had their bedroom. Ew. 
Yeah. So. So where is he raping these children? Is there a fourth tent room for the raping or? No, that's happening, I think, in like the girls' in the living room. room. Oh. I think in the girls' room. Behind the tented. Yeah. Like, fucking whatever. Yeah, you had no idea Whatever, what Elizabeth. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh, that sounds plausible. So when Kiani and Sophina were pregnant, Elizabeth would take them to their doctor's appointments at like the free clinic. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, Ruby wasn't taken to the free clinic. So Ruby didn't see a doctor until she was like eight months pregnant, I think. Shit. Kiani gave birth to Illabel on September 16th, 1995, which remember Illabel was the name of the, yeah, yeah. The, the mom, the the one that was the, the mistress, the sister wife, mm-hmm. potential sister wife. Weird. Six months later, Sophina had Jonathan. And then three months after that, Ruby had her daughter, Aviv. Okay. All three girls had their the father part on the birth certificate say unknown because they knew that if they told, they were going to get in trouble or uh, Marcus was going to get in trouble. Yeah. So Marcus was like, just leave it blank. Which actually, like, when they went to get their children, he was nowhere on that birth certificate. Right. So he had no right to those kids. Right. So Ruby and Sophina, their sister Brandy was also living with the family at the time. And she said that Marcus began sexually assaulting her when she was seven. Ew. And that the first time he raped her was when she was 14 or 15. Holy shit. And she didn't want to. He said that they were having babies for the Lord. She said she didn't want to have babies for the Lord. So she ran away. Good for her. So she snuck out of the tent early in the morning and walked all day until she got a ride to a store. She like hitchhiked to a store. Then she walked into Santa Cruz and called her mother in Fresno. Uh. But remember, her mother is a real bitch. So her mom got mad at her for leaving the family and told her that if if she, like, came to her house, that she would just take her back to the Wessons. What the fuck? Yeah, this mom is, like, fucking crazy. So that day, the family thought that Brandy had been kidnapped, but Elizabeth called her sister Rosemary and found out that Brandy was with her. So the family didn't go looking for her because, first of all, they were out of money. Uh-huh. And also, they, like, spent all their time looking for food in garbage cans. <sighs> and at that time, the man who had owned the land that they were, like, renting to own, mm-hmm. he died. And they didn't have any, like, written agreement. So oh, the son shit. sold the property. Oh, shit. So then the family moved to Fresno in 1997. But they're, like, back and forth all over the place while they're in Fresno. Sophina, Ruby, Kiani, and Sabrina all get jobs at McDonald's to support the family. Mm-hmm. And, like, Marcus went down and, like, got them their jobs there, basically. I'm surprised they were allowed to have jobs. Well, they're, they're going to be fraternizing now. with men. Oh, well, he... I'm getting this later, but he'd have, like, girl talks with them where he'd be basically, like, don't talk to men, don't talk to, like, anyone. And then he'd have, like, the girls tell on each other if they saw another one talking how, to a man. How would you work at a restaurant and, and not, not talk, talk to, to men. men. You're taking know. orders, you're talking to people that are in, that are working with you. Yeah, I don't know. But the older boys, Dorian and Adrian, they stayed in Santa Cruz. Um, so Marcus had an agreement with them where he's like, you can leave the family, but you have to send me your money for two years. And they were like, okay. So they sent all their money to the family, but they they like left the family. And then the rest of the family moved into a duplex. Once again, tiny space. So at this point, the girls are in their early 20s. 
And Marcus warned them about not socializing with the outside world. Mm -hmm. He became increasingly distrustful and he would beat them for socializing with men. Mm. Ruby did end up making friends at the McDonald's that she worked at. And she was kind of like, oh, like not everyone is lives a fucking like this. psychotic person who. So, yeah, so she decided to run away. So, yeah, she's like, wait a second. Wait a second. All this shit that I've been told, all this stuff that is supposedly, like, to protect me and to better me Mm -hmm. makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And no one else is being raped by their father figure and impregnated. By their father husband. By their father husband and impregnated and told not to. By their uncle father husband. Yeah. Ew. Yes. So, she decides she's going to run away. I already said that. Okay, so she got off work early and then she went to stay with a friend that she had made at the McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And... Elizabeth was able to track her down and convince her to talk to Marcus. No. She was like, you just need to talk to him. Like, you just have to talk to Marcus. You can't run away. Just talk to him. So then he, like, drives to the McDonald's, and Elizabeth goes in, and she's like, you just got to go talk to your uncle. He's, like, in the car. Go talk to him. And then so she, like, walks up to the van, and then he's like, all right, come talk to me. Come sit in the van. Like, let's, you know, let, why do you want to leave? Like, I mean, let's have I a conversation. Brainwashing is like a really strong thing, but I'm just yeah. like, I can't help but think like, what the hell is wrong with these like adult women who are like telling well, their kids to go get raped by this gross ass dude? First of all, dude. Elizabeth was completely raped and brainwashed I, yeah. from the age of 14. And I know it does a number. And abused. Right. And her well, sister was like and abused, addicted age. to drugs and i don't know what kind of like yeah it's just like she you would had, think but... like or you would hope that mm-hmm. like as another woman in that situation you would be like run get the yes fuck but out if that's here. your norm though like that's all you know too yeah i, I know. don't know it's just crazy that's it's why crazy. i'm saying like brainwashing is such a crazy thing because like it is in like me hearing this, I'm like, why wouldn't you just be like, right. run, or like, let me help you get the fuck out of this crazy situation? Right. But in their mind, it's like, this is normal. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. So, um, okay, so she, Ruby gets into the van, Elizabeth slams the door, and they like, peel out and drive away what? to where the family was staying. There, he punched Ruby, like, a bunch of times on the scalp, so the bruising wouldn't show. And then he was like, why would you run away? And she was like, I want a family of my own. I don't want to be married to you anymore. Like, this isn't okay. I don't want to live like this. So he, like, beats her until eventually she's like, fine, I'll stay. So after she agrees to stay, he beat her for 10 days straight. Ugh, you're better off with that McDonald's friend. Then he got her a job at a different fast food place. Oh, great. And he became, like, increasingly volatile and abusive. Mm-hmm. So around this time, he bought an old tugboat, like an old retired tugboat, and docked it in Marshall. This is all happening in Marshall. It's, like, down the street. This is crazy. The boat was named the Sudan. And between 1997 and 1999, Marcus went back and forth between Marshall and Fresno. Can you imagine that drive all the fucking time? And do you think he used welfare money for that boat too? Yeah, for sure. So because, but he learned how to not put it like under his name. Uh-huh. He got craftier. So the girls got seasonal work at the Marconi Conference Center near Marshall. They would work there like during the summer. And then during the winter, they would do their fast food jobs in Fresno. So they're like going back and forth because okay. the girls are the only ones that are working. At the Marconi Center, the girls worked 10-hour days. Ugh. 
they would wake up early in the morning, row a small rowboat Excuse from the me? sedan to the shore, and then Marcus would They're drive them. They're all living them. on this tugboat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> then Marcus would drive them half a mile to work, and... Like, some of the people who, like, lived in Marshall... Because Marshall is, like, the tiniest town. It's, like, one street. They have, like, a store. They have, like, a restaurant. They have a post office. And I always wondered, like, whose boats were docked out there. But now I know. Okay. Well, pedophile, religious... Creepers. Fanatic creepers. Uh-huh. So, one of the... I think one of the residents of Marshall said it was, like, really bizarre. Because you would see, like, Marcus at the stern of the boat. And, like, these young girls, like, rowing Rowan, it to shore. Fuck? Okay, so then... And he has a car on shore that he just, like, loads them up and drives them into town. Yeah, drives them to work. To work. Yeah, for their 10-hour days. Which I'm sure it was, like, a 10-hour day there was probably, like, amazing for them just to not be around that shit. To get some freedom. And then the manager of the Marconi Center, she knew that the girls had a really tough life. So she would, like, leave snacks out for them. And some of them would, like... Some of them, like, um... I think Sophina was, like, really chatty and, like, friendly. But then some of them were, like, more, like, Rosa, I think, was, like, more reserved. And mm-hmm. it took her a while to, like, accept the snacks. and. Well, yeah, because you don't want to get beat for doing things that you're not yeah. supposed to do. But they were, like, really good workers. And they were, like, always on time. And they worked really hard. So, Wesson, Marcus somehow owned five boats that were docked what? in the Tamales Bay. What? Yeah, somehow he got five boats. So the Sudan was a 65-foot retired tugboat that served as their main living quarters. Oh and so apparently he like it like there was like cement on like one part of it and it, it was like fa- like the boat was falling apart. Yeah. And he like hired someone to like fix the cement part, but then when the dude found out that Marcus couldn't pay him, he was like, "No." Well, yeah. And apparently <laughs> Marcus like he was like, "Oh, well you can have like one of my daughters basically." And the guy was like, this is That's fucking weird. Creepy. No. Like, this is not biblical times. Yeah, like, you can't just, like, fuck? trade children. This is fucking fucked up. Okay, so there was, like, this long hallway that led to a rebuilt diesel engine room uh-huh. that had three bunk beds. So it said it had three bunk beds on one side, and in I was kind hallway. of confused, and maybe, no, in a room, in a diesel room that oh, was, like, in renovated. in the engine room. Oh, yeah. my God, okay. So I don't know if there were, like, three, I don't know how it worked. I don't know if they're, like, six bunk beds or I, I don't know but anyway there are a bunch of bunk beds in one room so that's where the girls the babies and marcus slept ew then the boys slept on the other end of the boat in a room with one bed how kind and there was a shower on one of the decks and they had a refrigerator and a portable toilet there was a bed sheet around the toilet for privacy oh that's nice but the girls used the bathroom at their work they would hold it until yeah. they went to work. <laughs> Hell yeah. Like, ew, first of all, you don't want to be, like, anywhere near naked around that fucking perv. Yeah. And, like, I'm Gross. sure, like, also with a like portable toilet, they're probably, like, it's probably, like, a bucket. Yeah. With that many people, it would fill up so Disgusting. fast. Disgusting. So I'm every, sure they're just dumping it into the bay. Well, no. Every morning, Marcus would row ashore with the three boys. They would empty the toilet receptacle into a porta potty on shore. Oh. And then they'd fill up their water jugs. And each person got one gallon of water to shower with, and it was heated on a propane stove. Mm-hmm. So you, like, get wet, you, like, soap up, when you rinse off. And then they washed their clothes in the bay, and they ate only beans. Bean supper. Bean supper. Bean everything. 
So Marcus would eat like actual food, but the girls were only allowed to eat beans. And what? Elizabeth didn't cook. So uh-huh. the girls did all the chores. Uh-huh. I don't know what she was doing. She was like watching TV or something. I don't know. So they had another, one of the other boats they had was called the Raven, and that was 50 feet away, and it held, like, the family's things. So they'd, like, row over to the Raven to get their, like, water and then clothes. This sounds and... so inconvenient. Yes! <laughs> yes. So Marcus would have, like I said before, these weekly girl talks with all the girls, Ew. where he would indoctrinate them. He would mm-hmm. tell them not to talk to men, including their brothers and cousins. Well, yeah, because in his world, yeah. they're all potentially right. going to rape you. And- he would tell them like not to socialize when they're at work. Mm. He would, mm. like I said, he'd get the girls to tell on one another. Mm. And then he'd also like sit down and discuss with them um, having more kids. Ew. Kids for Christ. Yeah, babies for, for the Lord. <sighs> Obviously, he'd like rape all the girls uh-huh. and... For some reason, like, Ruby, he was, like, especially jealous of Ruby. Jealous? Like, if Ruby talked to anyone or, like, he was, like, he, like, singled her out the most. So he would constantly accuse her of talking to men, and she would be, like, no, I'm not. And then he would, like, beat her, like, all the time. What? Uh, Then he would also meet with each girl individually, where he could zero in on their weaknesses and exploit them. Well, yeah, that sounds pretty... Normal for his weird culty manipulation. And at some point, he had Ruby and Kiani marry each other. Excuse me? Yeah. Sisters? Cousins. Cousins. Which Kiani denied later, but Ruby was like, yeah, I was fucking weird. Uh, he's marrying two girls? Yeah. Well, he... Okay, so his dad's, like, bisexual or slash... A pedophile. pedophile. Yeah. So he didn't... He, like, the whole gay thing, he was, like, totally fine with. Hmm. Apparently. I don't know. Anyway. So then he would have these meetings in the boys' room where apparently the rest of the family didn't know what was going on. The rest of the family on this is tiny boat. The boys and, and the, the wife. wife. Yeah, apparently. And then when he'd have like these one on one meetings, apparently the other girls didn't know what he was talking about with each individual girl, so they didn't know like how he was exploiting each one. Mm. They had like their own special It's smart, you gotta turn them against each other. Special indoctrination. Yeah. So while on the boat, Marcus began writing his 1,000-page autobiographical religious cult doctrine called In the Night of the Light for the Dark. In the Night of the Light for the Dark. Yeah. So this is where he gets into... I bet he thinks he's so He thinks smart. he's so clever. <laughs> he thinks he's so clever. Yeah, some of it's written in, like, prose and some of it's like autobiographical some of it's like more like a story this piece of shit yeah so this is where he gets into the details of his vampire religion <gasps> idea he like equates jesus with like vampires and like how blood is well like I life mean, force yeah you do drink the body of and how jesus of like rose from the dead and the only other people who rise from the dead are vampires zombies. and there's like that's it zombies well, he thought vampires. Well, he's wrong. So he was, like, really into vampires. He bought ten coffins around this time uh, for the end of times, of course. Were they he all going like, to sleep like, in so them? romantic that you'd get a coffin. Cute. And the manager at the so Marconi... So he's using this welfare money and the money that the girls are bringing yeah. in from the to buy fucking coffins and yeah. tugboats and shit. 
five boats and coffins, and he's eating fine, but they're all eating bean, bean supper. supper. The manager at the Marconi Center, she, like, remembers one day the girls came in, they're all excited that, like, they got, that he, like, bought these coffins for them, and she was like, Ew. this is so fucking weird. She's like, I feel so bad for these, like, these people. These coffins, he got them from an antique store for about $400 a piece. Well, coffins are expensive as shit, but also antique coffins yep. so were they used i don't know how that works oh like what unless they were like made and the person never died because they're a vampire oh. i don't know i don't know how that works anyway obviously the girls had to make the payments on the coffins because he didn't have any money so they're like making these payments and then when he was told that the coffins wouldn't be delivered to their tugboat <laughs> he he bought a school bus to come pick them up and then he told the owner of like the the antique store he's like look i had to buy this school bus just to get these coffins or whatever i don't know anyway okay so yeah he's like i'm gonna order up 10 coffins from this antique shop mm -hmm. can you deliver them to my tugboat i believe so and i'm gonna put all my all 10 coffins in this tugboat yeah well in the raven the raven's oh, where you the store the coffins, coffins. And the well, he's gotta have a coffin boat that's right Oh, Raven, boat. that's a good name yeah. for, like, a coffin boat. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, this dude's out of his fucking mind. In his, like, manifesto, I don't know what to call it, in his, like, mm -hmm. shit book, <laughs> he would, like, make up characters based on his family members, and then some he just, like, made up. So he, like, changed his family members' names to their, like, vampire names. And apparently, like, <laughs> all the girls knew their, like, vampire names. And then what? he, like, in one section of the book, he, like, writes about their run-in with CPS and their issues with like neighbors. And then he like wrote about the eviction notices that they were getting everywhere. I'm sure like everywhere. He, it was everyone else's fault. He, he wasn't the issue. No, it's the government trying to like interfere. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And then he also wrote about polygamy and incest and how it was the best way to produce a perfect generation. Oh yeah, all that like of all of his genes, intermingling which, of which your makes own me genes. think, yeah, like the royal, the royalty yeah. or whatever, yeah. and how they ended up with like such fucked up people. diseases and stuff because you can't do that. But yeah. he thought it was the best way to create a perfect generation of vampires. <laughs> he also gave himself the name J Van Mark Suspire, which is a combination of Jesus Vampire and Marcus. That was his name. <laughs> uh, well, I thought he was going to go with the count or something, but... No, he's way more creative. Worse. So, in 2003, he actually sent the, a New York publisher his, like, manuscript, and they were like... What the fuck is this? They rejected it as incoherent. Uh, yeah. They're like, I don't know rambling. what the fuck any of this means. This is out of... This is batshit. The girls wrote daily journals, and they would, like, talk about their activities on the day-to-day. -day. And one of the girls, I think it was Keani, she would just, like, always write about all the movies that they would watch. They and then she was like, movies? Yeah, okay, so Marcus was, like, really into... Vampire movies? Like, horror movies and uh, stuff. So uh, they'd, like, watch those. And then they'd, they'd watch, like, Herbie or whatever. Herbie. They'd, like, watch these, like, Disney movies or, like, Parent Trap. Or, and then she would, like, write these, like, little reviews of the movies that she watched. Like, it was a good day today. We got to watch, like, five movies or something. It was really wow. sad. Okay, so then problems started when Sophina was 24. She told Marcus that she wanted to go live with her aunt in San Jose. Uh-huh. She told him that she had kissed a man at work. <gasps> and he was furious. And was like, you're not allowed to talk to any of the girls anymore. 
So she's like, I can't live on a small ass tugboat and not talk to anyone. I can't fucking do that. Yeah, she'd be a bad influence. Yeah. So then at some point, he's like, fine, you can go. I'll take you there. Mm -hmm. So she like gathers up her things really quickly. And then they get into the van and they make it as far as Petaluma. So they're like driving on this like dark, windy road, like right next to the fucking bay. Mm -hmm. And then they get to Petaluma and she was like, she was so scared because she was driving all crazy the whole time. They get to Petaluma and Marcus turned around and drove them back to Marshall. What? Once they get back to Marshall, he like, he's sitting in the van and she's kind of like, what's happening? He stabs her in the chest <gasps> right below her right shoulder. What? And then she, like, the wind is knocked out of her. Yeah. He, like, probably collapses a lung when he stabs right. her. So then she, like, comes to. And then he was like, he's like, are you, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were ready to, like, go to the Lord or whatever. What? She's like, no, I don't want to die. I'm not it's ready like I said for I that. I said I wanted to go to my aunt's house. Yeah. The Lord's <laughs> house. What the hell? So then he was like, okay, well, you can't tell anyone what just happened. Like, I'm sorry. I misunderstood what you were saying. So. Um, but now I have a punctured lung and I'm bleeding. You can't tell anyone. So then she goes back on the boat and goes straight into her room. And then Elizabeth goes in the room and helps, like, bandage her up. Because he, like, told Elizabeth what had happened. And her, like, muscle was, like, poking out of her chest. Oh, and she's in, like, severe pain. And she's, like, laying on this boat. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. Do you think that she knew when they were... I mean, it's so you're, like, it's dark, windy road. Do you think that she was aware they had turned around or do you think that yeah because they pulled over somewhere in petaluma and then they turn around and she was like oh fuck what the fuck because she kind of doubted it like yeah why would you be taking me when before you're not even allowed to like go outside and now you're willing to let me go to my aunt's house yeah so she like that's why she grabs her things all quickly because she's like he might change his mind at any point and then like they're driving that way so she's thinking like okay like mm -hmm." okay so then at this point they obviously had like a bunch of run-ins with the law because they're getting evicted all the time. CPS is, like, trying to find them. It's just, like, madness. So Marcus takes the kids to Fresno, which they've been going back and forth between Fresno, mm-hmm. like, for a lot of years. But then finally, it's, like, more permanent this time. So Sophina, Kiani, Sabrina, and Alme, which is Marcus and Elizabeth's son, mm-hmm. they stayed behind on the tugboat. And then the rest of the family went to Fresno. So Marcus would go back several times a week to get their paychecks and to make sure that they had propane and their weekly girl talks to indoctrinate oh, them. So during this time, Marcus was like away in Fresno. Ruby tried to run away again. She was like, this is my chance. I got to mm-hmm. get the fuck out of here. The other girls were at work for some reason, but she was home alone. So she rowed herself ashore. She walked for four miles and then hitchhiked to San Rafael. From there, a woman let her stay the night and gave her a bus ticket to the Amtrak station. Wow. Then, once she was there, the woman was like, okay, I will get you an Amtrak ticket under your name when you get to the train station. But when she got there, like, there wasn't a ticket under her name, so then she got really she got really upset. And then yeah. another person was like, I'll buy you a ticket to Fresno. It's wow. Fine. So then some, some dude, like, bought her a ticket to Fresno. Well, why are you going to Fresno? That's where the enemies are. To like, go, go somewhere else. Because she doesn't know where else to go. So anywhere else. Well, because she when she got to Fresno, she went to that McDonald's and found her friend oh, who had helped her out okay, before. Right. So she literally has... the only person she knows outside of their family is this friend. Jeez. Unfortunately, her friend was like, I have a bunch of cousins staying with me. I don't have room in my house, but I have a friend that can take you yeah. in. So she stays with this other friend for a few days, but then Ruby feels really bad because she doesn't have any money to contribute and she doesn't know like what she's doing. She doesn't know mm-hmm. what to do. So she goes to her mom. Mm-mm who told her to return to Marcus. Uh-huh. 
and she knew that her mom would call Elizabeth, so she left. Elizabeth tracked her down and convinced her to meet with Marcus again. How are they tracking her down? I don't know. Jeez. So then she meets Marcus at like a Denny's or something. They talk for four hours until he convinced her to go stay with her mother. So she agreed. And then while she's like staying with her mother, he drops four of the little like little babies off. And he's like, all right, take care of these kids, including her daughter. Like here, watch the kids for a while. So then she's like watching them for three weeks. And then after that, he like comes to get everyone. He's like, you can't leave your, you can't leave your children. You can't leave these kids. They need you. So then she was like, okay, Ugh. like, I don't want to leave my kid and I'll go back because they do need me. Well, and I'm sure like if they're that little and she's like, this is going to be their fate too. I got to like protect my children yeah. too. Yeah. Ugh. So then in 1999, the family was like fully evicted from the Sudan and the girls moved to Fresno then, too. So, like, everyone's in Fresno now. Okay. And, like, one of the... Okay, so, like, someone who lived in Marshall was, like... He had, like, problems with Marcus because Marcus would be, like, super early in the morning. They'd have to, like, go dump the porta potty whatever, bringing the girls to work. So, it'd be, like, 5 o'clock in the morning, and he'd hear the, like, the boat scraping against the rocks as he, like, pulls it ashore, and then his dog would hear it, and his dog would go crazy, and then he would wake up. So, he was, like, super pissed about it, so he would, like, complain. And, like, everyone in Marshall, like, knew what was happening. They, like, all knew it was fucking weird, so they were all complaining, and, like, yeah, you need what to get can these you people do? out of here. What can you do? You call Especially, the police, they don't show up. CPS? Well, yeah. They don't show up. Well, also, the girls are in their 20s at this point, yeah. and no one knows that they're, like, small children on the boat. They mm. never see the little little ones. So they're just like, okay, well, these women are choosing to live, like, in these horrible conditions. What are you going to do? Yeah. Except for get them evicted. So then everyone's in Fresno, and the family was living between the original duplex and then another apartment while Marcus negotiated a deal on a house that had major fire damage. <laughs> The house was bought under the girls' names, Uh and the girls had to pay for it. So he got the house for $100,000. Wow. Yeah. First of all, you get a house for $100,000, wow, in California. Holy shit. And you're buying it as a McDonald's employee? Well, this is, this house, this is like the late 90s, like 99 or 2000. And it was in serious, like, it was not livable. You could not live in this house. You needed, like, major repair. But still, like, who's giving loans to people, like... I don't know, but the girls... You can't even fucking buy a house now with a full-time career job. Well, the girls were able to put a third of that down. How? Because I think he was, like, what was he spending their money on? Beans and, like, meals for himself. Coffins and tugboats, beans, and... (laughs) (laughs) Well, they would never, like, actually finish making the payments on anything. No. So, so after working all day at, like, McDonald's or their fast food jobs, the girls were responsible for fixing the house, too. Oh, good. The family moved into a tool shed behind the house Mm -hmm. because the house was uninhabitable. So, at this point, I think there are 14 people living in a tool tool shed. shed. Mm-hmm. So uh, they obviously got a lot of code violations from the city because they were taking too long to fix the house because the girls only had, you know, a few hours of the night to, like, try and fix it. Plus, they don't have money to fix it. Right. And the family also fell behind on their mortgage payments. Naturally. And in 2001, the girls whose names were on the deed were sued 
Ooh. Yeah. And the original, like, the owner of the house claimed that they, like, stole some stuff from him. Mm-hmm. And Mark, because he, like, left some stuff behind that in, the, like, in the shed or the garage or something that he was going to come back for later. And they probably, like, hawked him or whatever. Yeah. And then Marcus was like, oh, I thought they were, like, abandoned property. I didn't, I didn't know that you wanted those things. So... He, like, sues them because not they, like, fell behind on the mortgage payments, and also they, he said that they stole from him. So they continued to work, and Marcus would get more and more paranoid mm-hmm. that they were talking to men. So he began beating them with a wooden bat. Well, that'll keep the men away. Uh-huh. During this time, Ruby fell in love with a co-worker, Uh-oh. and she was planning her third escape. Oh, Ruby. So she left work early one day and went to stay with her boyfriend's mom. And then after a few days, she called Elizabeth to let her know that she was okay. Mm-mm. Marcus got on the phone mm. and told her that she needed to come home. Uh-huh. And she said no, that she wanted her daughter to come live with her and she wasn't going home. Yeah. Sophina also met someone at work. She was 26 at the time and the man was older. See, that's what you get, Marcus, for having them work. They're going to meet people. Yeah. You got to lock them away. Yeah, you got to have, like, the, the boys work. Yeah. Instead of letting them do whatever mm-hmm. the fuck they wanted. Okay, so... The the other girls told Marcus that Sophina was, like, talking to a dude at work. Mm-hmm. So she was beaten and told that she wasn't allowed to talk to anyone in the family. She was on the outs. Right. So she wasn't even allowed to talk to her five-year-old son. Okay. What the fuck? Horrible. Horrible. So... So, like, she said that this, this like, pushed her farther to, like, leave because she couldn't... Yeah. Her, she could, like, see her son, but she couldn't talk to him. She couldn't talk to the family. She would, like, sit in silence for, like, days, you know? I'm no sure one was allowed to talk to her. I'm brainwashed the family into thinking, like, oh, she's evil. And yeah. She, Don't talk to her because yeah. she's, like, bad news. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying... I'm working on her to make her pure again. Yeah, who the fuck knows? So, she continued to talk to the guy from work, and she kept getting beaten for it, because the other girls would tell on her all the time. So, then, she got the courage to tell Marcus that she was leaving, and she went to her mother's house. So, she gets to her mother's house, and minutes later, Elizabeth arrives at the house, and she, like, hands Sophina a phone, and said that Marcus wanted to talk to her. Ugh, don't answer the phone. So Marcus convinced her that he was going to let her go. No. But she had to keep giving the family her paychecks. And during the day when she wasn't at work, she had to stay with the family but not talk to anyone in the family. Like she could sleep at her mother's house. She still had to give them all of her money and she had to spend all of her free time at his house. But she could sleep at her mother's house. Right. That sounds like a shitty deal. But then she'd, like, go sit in silence at their house because no one's allowed to talk to her. Yeah. Yeah, so fucking dumb. So she she did that for months because she was like, this is the only way I can, like, see my child. I can't talk to him, but at least I can, like, you know, I want to be able to, like, see my son. Yeah. So, so after a few months of doing this, she found out that she was pregnant. Oh, God. With the guy from work's baby. Oh, and Yikes. she got the courage to tell Marcus. No, just leave. Don't and at tell first, shit. He's not someone to talk to. At first, he asked if he could have the baby. And she was like, no. What? No. And then he told her to leave the house forever and that she was a bad influence on the other girls and he, like, never wanted to see her again. Mm-hmm. So over the next year, she and the man from work moved to San Jose, but she kept going back to Fresno to see her son. And she'd bring the family food and money. 
and she'd like bring these like little toys for her son to like like a little matchbox car mm-hmm. and then she like gave him her like old name tag from work just like little things so that he like would remember her because she only got to see him every like few weeks Ugh. and marcus would like call and ask for money he'd be like i need 200 dollars for rent because jonathan needs like a roof over his head and she would be like okay and she would like bring the money because she wanted to see her kid wow so then in 2003, the family sold the fire burned down house mm-hmm. for $149,500. They paid some of that money to the man who had sued them, and then they had to find a new place to live. Mm-hmm. So they bought their next house, the house at 761 West Hammond Avenue. This house was not supposed to be lived in. It was zoned as a business and was on a busy intersection along the railroad tracks. What? So a train would go, like, right by, like, all the time, and it was just, like, so noisy. So so soon after that, Marcus learned that his father had cancer, so he planned a trip up to Washington. His to, pedophile father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He planned to visit him and, like, take the whole family up there. Fun. Let's go see Grandpa. And they had also gotten an order to evacuate because they're not supposed to be living in a business. And the city found out, and they're like, you need to leave. That's not, like, a safe place <laughs> to, like, be raising a family. Jeez. So, so like I said, Sophina stayed in contact with the family because she wanted to, like, see her kid. Mm-hmm. But Ruby had cut off all ties. Good. And by December 2003... One of the other, like, one of Marcus's daughters, Gypsy, she was 19 years old. She had also run away from home. Kiani stayed loyal to the family, but she was, like, really missing her sisters and her cousins. Mm -hmm. And then at this time, Kiani had had two children by her father. Eight-year-old Illabel and then the infant named Jeva, which was a character in Marcus's manifesto. And the name is a combo of Jesus and vampire. Oh, my God. Yeah. Vampire Jesus. So Marcus would continue his girl talks, and then it would later come out that during these talks, he would also often bring up a murder-suicide pact. <laughs> he would ask the girls if they were ready to die for the Lord. And he would say things like, it's better to be dead than for, like, CPS to take your children or for the government to, like, get well, involved. Yeah, because that's... I mean, then they put them in the tunnels for the Democrats to go rape. That's right. That's exactly right. So the boys obviously, like, didn't have it as bad as the girls. Mm -hmm. But when Almay began a relationship with one of Elizabeth's nieces, his father issued a 14-page tirade about how he was, like, so mad and basically said that, like you said before, any female member of the family was his and his Ew. son needed to, like, prey on a different family, basically. Ew. So the the niece... It said that, like, it was a niece by marriage, so I don't know if they were, like, blood-related or what, but, like, the fact that he thought that he could, like, own this woman who, like, was not... I don't know. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so back to the house in Fresno. Yeah. The children slept on top of the coffins. Oh, my God. So the coffins were closed with sleeping bags placed on top of... Don't so they, they would inside would be more comfortable? Well, no, listen. So oh. the sleeping bags were on top, and then plywood was on top of that. So the sleeping bags were so the coffins didn't get scratched. Uh, then on top of the plywood, oh there was like a mat. 
and that's where the kids would sleep. Okay, so it was kind of like the the coffins were the box spring of the mattress. That's right. <laughs> Uh, and apparently, like, the neighbors didn't know that there were children living in the house. They had never seen these kids. they weren't allowed to go outside. Yeah, and they had, they were, like, quiet all the time. Ugh. So Marcus was planning to go to Washington, like I said, and his father was, like, pressuring the family to move there. He was like, look, the kids need to be in school. I'll help you find a job. He, like, wrote this letter the to... The pedophile a, was yeah. like, you need to put the kids in school yeah. and get things set He was right. like, I will even, like, pay to put them in private school for the first year. If what? you just, like... Yeah. He was like, you need to, like, he was like, the government is going to get really mad at you. Like, they're going to take your kids away. Oh, this law-abiding unless... guy. Yeah. It's, okay. it's weird. It's super what bizarre. But at least he's, like, trying to, he, like, wrote this letter to Elizabeth, and he's, like, trying to talk sense into her. Like, just move the family up here. We'll get you, like, work. We'll, like, put your kids in school. They need to be in school. Like, people are going to start questioning, you know, the kids aren't in school. Plus, but... I hear you got some young boys. Yeah, plus my, I'm like, yeah. Oh, anyway. sounds like to me. So... In preparation for the move, the girls worked day and night to get the school bus ready. They had, like, the school bus, and they had, like, another bus they were getting parts from. I don't know how they're buying all this shit. (laughs) So then he, like, in one part of the school bus, they installed a hot tub. What? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't see any pictures, but I wish I did. And the neighbors were like, yeah, it was really weird because there'd be, like, these girls in these, like, long, dark dresses mm-hmm. like working all hours of the night like one would hold a flashlight as the other ones are like working on this bus and how like, do they even know all how to night. work on this bus i don't know i don't know okay so so this house like i think they got in trouble too because they had these like buses parked in front of their houses and the neighbors are like this is not cool yeah so like i said no one knew they just saw like the women working outside on the bus and like marcus would be out there sometimes supervising but they didn't know like who was living in the house that there were children inside they didn't know like any of it when sophina and ruby found out that the family was moving to washington they they decided that they needed to get their children because he was running away yeah okay and sophina said later that like one of the last times she like took her son out because he her like son asked her for shoes he's like i need some new shoes can you give me Mm. some shoes and she's like yeah so she took him to the store and he like tried on these shoes that were like black and brown and he was like well i want like black shoes and she's like they are black shoes and he's like well i want all black shoes and she was like oh oh oh, it's starting like he's like getting to my kid the fact that he wants like all black shoes and we're supposed to wear like all black clothing and she was like because they're vampires yeah so she was like, she was like, I need, I knew like I needed to get him out because it was like getting really, I didn't want him to have the life that I had yeah. and I needed to get him out. So I was seeing signs of it starting. That's when they went to go see Marcus. And then that's when that whole thing happened at the trial. The defense argued that Sabrina was the one that killed everyone. And then herself. What? Yeah. And they like, they would have gone with the ins- insanity defense, but Marcus wouldn't agree to it. So they he's not couldn't. Insane. No, he's not. He's, he's perfectly just a vampire. Sane. Yeah, he's just a vampire. Yeah. Uh, and then Elizabeth was given immunity if she testified against Marcus, but her testimony was so fucking like you can read the transcripts from the trial and they were basically like asking her questions and she would just be like, I don't know, I don't remember. I don't remember. And they'd be like, What did you see that day? And she's like, I just saw my daughter's eyes. And every question, she's like, I saw her eyes. I just saw her eyes. I just saw my daughter's eyes. Yeah, and then she'd, like, look over at Marcus. Marcus was, like, looking at his, like, paper the whole time and, like, drawing and writing or whatever. And then, like, at one point, the I think the prosecutor was like, why do you keep looking over at him? Mm-hmm. Like, do you think he's going to give you answers? Like, why are you looking at him? She's like, I'm not. I'm looking at you. And she was, like, totally unhelpful. And they, they like, confronted her, and they're like, you think that you don't, like, 
your children aren't allowed to talk to anyone. They're not allowed to go anywhere. And they're getting pregnant. And she was like, well, I thought that they were just like artificially inseminated. By who? I don't know. Who was artificially? Like, yeah, you're going to go to a free clinic like, and yeah. get like someone else's Someone's semen. Gonna, like, do you know how much it costs yeah. to get artificially inseminated? But really like, but really like some of the other girls, um, like I think Sophina and Ruby maybe testified that she had walked in on him like assaulting them before. Mm-hmm. And she would yell at the girls to, like, get out of the room. And then she would, like... One of the girls said that that one of the times that Elizabeth walked in, she, she like, told her to, like, get out of the room. And then she made some kind of comment, like, I've given you, like, very specific times to do this, and this is, like, not... This what? Is not the time. Or something. Like, they made some kind of agreement. I don't know. But she denied that she ever, like, saw it. And then, like I said before, Keanu was like, no, my mom didn't know. Like, we didn't tell her... Like, I guess they had, like, sat down. Yeah, she totally didn't know when we were living in a tent together yeah. and we could hear every or goddamn thing. Or on a tugboat. Or in a tool shed. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't believe anything that she had no. to say. But, uh, so after three months of testimony and ten days of deliberation, on June 17th, 2005, Marcus Wesson was found guilty of 14 sex crimes and murder to the first degree. Then they had a penalty phase because it was a death penalty case. Mm. And it took jurors under nine hours to sentence Marcus to death. Good. Fuck that guy. So Marcus is at San Quentin. What a piece of shit. Which he can look out at the bay. I know. What a beautiful view. I know. (laughs) It's like the most beautiful spot. And then they put a prison. Yeah. So that is the story about the fucking most awful murder or the most, like the biggest mass murder of Fresno history. What a piece of shit. And what mm-hmm. I, I don't understand is, I thought he said it was a murder-suicide pact. What happened to the suicide pact? No, no, the girls were in charge of that because they did oh. everything. There was even, so there was like part of the book where the girls were alone on the boat and they saw like a white van pass by and it said progressive, but they didn't know about like progressive insurance because the only things they've ever seen were movies. Yeah, And then they saw like, three more go by and then they thought like that's the government coming to take us oh my god so they like one of them was basically like okay we got to do this now and then the other one one of them was like we have to like we have to call marcus and see if now's the time so they like got to the store the marshall store and they like they would go in there and they'd buy like little things like ramen or little snacks or whatever Mm -hmm. and um and they and they'd use the phone there so they like called marcus and he was like no no don't go through with it like this is not the time Oh, my God. Yeah. And it was really sad, too, because Sophina said that after they did the autopsies, they they were like, oh, your son Jonathan had some things in his pockets. Do you want to come get them? And they were the things that she had given him. They were, like, three pieces of yarn and, like, the matchbox car and her name tag. And he, like, kept those things, like, to be close to his mother. Marcus is a fucking piece of shit. Mm Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah, the defense was, like, that's why the gunshots were so they didn't know because some people were, like, oh, no, it happened when he went to the back of the room. Some people said it happened before the police even showed up that he shot, like, the two seven-year-olds. Then some people said that, like, it happened, like, some of, like, the little kids were killed and then he walked into the back and killed the older girl. Like, they don't know. Mm-hmm. But they do. Everyone was shot through the left eye except for... I think Sabrina's son, Marshy, was shot through the right eye. Mm. He was shot in a different eye than everyone else. And Mm -hmm. they were like, oh, that was Marcus, like, trying to frame 
Sabrina because they're like, oh, she was the shooter, so obviously she'd treat her son differently or something. Okay. I don't know. The defense had like no leg to stand yeah. on. It was just like uh, grasping at straws. Yeah. Because your client is a piece of shit. Yes. Like who's ruined the worst all these people's lives. Human being. Yeah. And he deserves to burn in his vampire hell for all eternity. Well, isn't that just tragic? That's disgusting. Why'd you tell me so, that? So, I know. It was awful. So, Sophina got married, and she, like, has a child. She has, like, a little girl. And then Ruby also, like, got married. I don't know if she has a family of her own. Uh, but then, like, at the trial, his sons and Keani and uh, Rosa and Elizabeth were all still, like, devoted to him. Well, yeah, because if you're that brainwashed, you think he's the only way that I'm going to be saved yeah. by the vampire Jesus. Well, and Rosa was the only one who would never, like, talk to men. She was the one that was, like, the most yeah, faithful Yeah, and he's telling him. them, like, if you... What was I going to say? Well, basically just, like, keeping them so brainwashed and, like, you can't talk to anyone else. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and, like, if CPS comes, they're going to take your children. Yep. And the children are going to have it way worse, even though... I'm a fucking pedophile rapist, yeah. but your kids yeah. will have it worse. And at one point, at one point, Sophina said that uh, Elizabeth like came to her house and was like, "Hey, you have any cake mix?" And she's what? like, "What do you need cake mix for?" And it was in February, and she's like, "Oh, I'm gonna make a birthday cake." And she's like, "None of the, no one has a birthday in February." And she's like, "Are are people like having babies still?" Because you told me that this was stopping. You told me that like no one else is going to have babies anymore because it's so fucked up. And then she was kind of like cagey about it. And she was like, at that point I was like, I knew it was still going on. I knew I had to get my kid out of there. It was like so messed up. Like Marcus had told me that that was going to stop. And then they went to the house and they were like, are you still having babies? Like you said, of this was going to stop. Yeah. Ugh. And of then course. I think it was Sophina who was like, what, you're going to have babies with your grandchildren. Like what the fuck? Of course. Mm-hmm. He doesn't see anything wrong with that. No, he's, he's creating the perfect the generation. Pe- yeah, of exactly. vampires. And then I guess he was still writing his manifesto in prison while he's in prison. And, then he was like, oh, I wrote, because the author of the book wrote to him and was like, what happened in that back room? I just want to know, like, what happened. Mm-hmm. And then he was basically like, oh, I'm writing, like, a fourth book to my book. There were, like, three sections of the other one. He's like, it just, they rejected it because it didn't make any sense. But after I, like, intertwine this fourth book, it will all make sense. And it's like, okay, dude's batshit. Fucking, Fucking piece of shit. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad a scrambled egg the tossed salad tossed salad and the scrambled egg a scrambled egg so a tossed salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway right so the tossed salad has more components the person is able to compartmentalize and a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind. They're all kinds of mixed up. There's no focus. They're disorganized. Tossed salad. Uh, yeah, this dude sucks. If anyone deserves to be on death row, it's this guy. Yeah. Like, he's the fucking worst. Yeah. And then, like, at the beginning of the trial, they wouldn't let him talk to any of his family because they were afraid that he would order them to yeah. kill themselves. So go read that book because it's like 
so intense. And then it's just crazy how much is happening. And Marshall, like, tiny little Marshall. Well, not anymore. Crazy. I wonder what happened to all those boats. So one of them sunk. I think the Sudan sunk after a particularly bad storm. Are you saying Sudan or Sudan? Sudan. Oh, I was thinking it was like a sedan, like a car. Oh, sorry. Sudan. Um, one of them, okay, so one of them, there was like this big storm while they were like still living between Fresno and Marshall. There was like this big storm and one and it like one of their five boats sunk. And then one of the neighbors like, he like confronted one of the neighbors about it and the neighbor was like, I didn't sink your boat. Like it was the fucking storm. And then he like went from like rageful to like, basically joking he's like oh you want to buy one of my other boats and the guy was like you're fucking you're psycho. fucking crazy and then yeah i think like a couple years after he was like found guilty the sudan sunk i believe it sunk too wow yeah what a horrible story horrible horrible really well written book though jeez what's the book called again by their father's hand Ooh, by like their father awful. husband Uncle. Uncle, father, Uh husband. What a piece of disgusting shit. Yes. I hate that. The worst of the worst. It was more. The more. Because I I was like, oh, vampire, like, murder. What's this? Like, a cult. I love a good cult. And then I was like, oh my God, this is awful. But I mean, it's like nine times out of ten. It's going to be... It's going to be really awful. A rapist pedophile yeah. who is doing things for the in Lord. In the name of the Lord. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. it's pretty much... I would say a good majority of religion and religious cults. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew it was going to end badly, and I just kept reading. Uh, and then I started, and I was like, okay. The book was super compelling, though. It was, like, very... It was a really quick read for, like... Huh. Yeah. It was really good. So, everyone, get your library cards. And I don't know why they wouldn't let you check that one out. Maybe because it's like kind of local-ish, or I don't know. Or maybe they they not stop many copies, publishing it or something. So they don't want it maybe. to get, go missing or something. I don't know, but don't support Amazon. But like support your local library. It's yeah, an amazing thing that we books, have. Free books, free movies, free like rentals of all kinds of shit. You can get your books on like Kindle or whatever. You know, like on your technological device. Speaking of supporting small businesses. You should check out Humblebee Herbal. They are a small business. That's Humblebee Herbal for all your bath time needs. Humblebeeherbal.com. Use code CRIMINY20 at checkout to get 20% off your first order. That's Humblebeeherbal.com. Okay. Is yours more fun than mine? <laughs> as fun as murder can be. Oh, such a downer. <laughs> so I got... My information, mostly from Murderpedia, because they had a lot of, like, the news articles just condensed on there. Yeah, so, like, that's where I started mine, but then the, like we talked about before, it's, like, really hard to do, like, a sequence of events, like, how you want to lay out your story. Yeah. Especially when you're piecing it all together. So then I found out there was a book, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll read that for fun sometime, and I'll just, like, put it on hold, but then, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's really hard. It's hard, guys. It's hard. This is hard. (laughs) Let's complain more. <laughs> My story starts in a neighborhood of Orange County, California. Oh, so we both, California. yeah. Um, called Westminster, which is also known as Little Saigon, or at least there's like a Little Saigon, like on the border of Westminster and some other little neighborhood. Okay. And Little Saigon is the has the largest population of Vietnamese Americans in the United States. Still. Yeah, well, I think now it's there's a little bit more like 
um, Mexican migrant farmers and stuff that live there, but it's still a huge Vietnamese population. Wow. Like, they have, it's, it's this whole area where there's, like, tons of Vietnamese shops and restaurants and, like, the whole community. I guess um, after Vietnam, a yeah. lot of people sought refuge there yeah. and ended up, like, creating their own community. And nice. it's basically, like, little Vietnam you know Mm -hmm. um so there's like a big community out there and something that i didn't know about the vietnamese culture that you might find interesting is that a large number of them are very superstitious and they it's really common for them to go talk to fortune tellers about like important big life events or like romance or buying homes or making um Big decisions. Big decisions, like like investing or Interesting. business deals. They talk a lot of them have fortune tellers, like certain ones that they are, you know, that they trust, that they go to to ask for advice, to like, you know, look at the star charts yeah. and cool. all yeah. that stuff. So 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 naturally, there's a bunch of fortune tellers in Little Saigon, and most of them are highly respected. I was gonna say because it's such like a an important part of their culture. I wonder, like, how how accurate they are, because for people to still do it, they have to have some people who are like pretty good at. Yeah, there's like. Pretty good at being psychic. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what they're using or whatever. Like, like I said, a lot of them for like romance and stuff use star charts, yeah. even to the point where people will be like in a relation, like a committed relationship, and they want to be with that person, then they'll go see their fortune teller. And the fortune teller will say that their stars don't align. Well, that was kind of like courting you with the... Yeah. Like in India, they do that too. Yeah. Where your romance is determined by your star chart. Yeah. And so like people will like break up because their stars aren't aligned. Even if they're like in love and they want to be together. But they're like, our stars aren't aligned. So, you know, we we both understand that. Go our separate ways. Right. Wow. And because they're so well respected a lot of them can charge a lot of money sure to be seen yeah so one fortune teller who was held in high regard was a woman called ha smith who often went by jade okay like jade was like her american name i guess yeah um and she was pretty sought after in the fortune telling world like so much so that people would come from all over the united states to have her read their fortune and, like, it wasn't unheard of for someone in New York to travel to California on their own money, you know, pay yeah. all that, come to her, get a reading, and pay about between eight and $15,000 in cash. <gasps> for one reading? For one reading. Damn. So, and, and she would also, wow. I guess they also do, like, spell casting and curses and stuff. Yeah. Like, you could pay them to make, like, a love potion or whatever. Whoa. Um, and... So, you know, Jade is doing pretty well for herself. Uh, yeah. She was highly sought after fortune teller. She could charge that much money per reading. She was known to wear, like, lots of expensive eccentric jewelry. Yeah, of course. And she always had, like, designer clothes. And she drove a Mercedes. Why not? Yeah, she was living it up. Yeah. And... But, you know, like, being a fortune teller was, was it's, it's hard work because you have a lot of people that want things from you and mm-hmm. want you to predict things and want things to go right. Draining. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes she had to, like, remind clients that she could see the future, but she couldn't change reality. So, like, 
she's just telling what she sees. Right, you might it's up not to like them. This, yeah, it's but up to them to right. Yeah. And Jade was a single parent to her daughter Anita Vo. Um, and during this time of the story, it's 2005, okay. and Jade is 52 and Anita is 23. And well, also like I'm thinking. She probably doesn't get much time off because she has, like, such a long list of people who, like, depend on her for, like, answers. And people are, like, flying out. She probably has, like, a wait list, you know? Yeah, and she also does, like, phone, like, over-the-phone fortune-telling yeah, and stuff for people like that can't afford to travel, but they yeah. want her to tell them Because they're spending up. all their money on that one answer. <laughs> yep. So, Anita was living with Jade while she was going to college, and... Uh, Jade would usually have her in-person clients come to her house to do the reading. So she had like a little like, you know, living room set up for readings and everything. So Anita was pretty used to people coming and going out of the house and things were going great. On April 22nd of 2005, one of Anita's friends was concerned that they hadn't heard from Anita like in the past day or two apparently like she was really responsive and i mean it's 2005 so they have cell phones and he hadn't heard from her so he called the westminster police department to do a welfare check on anita and when officers got to anita and jade's house um the doors were locked and there didn't appear to be anything of note from the outside like it didn't seem like anyone had broken in Mm -hmm. But they looked through the windows and they could see that it looked like the house had been ransacked. Like Ooh. furniture was turned over, drawers were dumped out, things were everywhere. It just looked like, you know, yeah. not like not like Jade would have left it. Right. Um, and in 2001, Jade had actually been the victim of a robbery where she was actually in the home when the burglars came came in and they tied her up. That's scary. And they found and stole $372,000 worth of jewelry and money. Bye. Because the other thing is a lot of these Vietnamese people, they don't trust banks yeah. because when they were in Vietnam and, you know, all that was happening, a lot of their stuff got taken away. Yeah. Um, and so they, a lot of times, hide their money and their jewels in their house. Yeah. So that's what she did. And then after that happened, she changed the locks on her doors and she had iron bars put on all the windows. Yeah. Um, That's so scary. Yeah. So because of what the officers saw through the windows and her prior history of being a target for robbery, police made entry into the house. They called out. Nobody answered. Then they made their way inside. Inside the house, they found the body of Anita Vo. Oh. In the doorway, it said, like, between the, um, like, in the laundry room doorway that was connected to the hall to the kitchen. Um, and the thing is, they couldn't identify her right away as Anita because there was a black t-shirt covering her face and her head and arms and hands were covered in white paint. So someone had, like, doused her in white paint. Just her head and arm and hands. Weird. And then they made their way into the kitchen where they found Jade, also dead. And her arms and head and hands were also covered in white paint. Weird. Police detective Tim Vu said, 
I haven't come across anybody else who has I, I haven't come across anybody else who has had a case in which the victim's heads and hands were covered in paint. I've had calls from colleagues in other departments too. They feel kind of fascinated by it. It's just not something that happens. This is by far the most bizarre thing I've seen. Well, yeah, because, like, did they bring the paint with them with that express purpose? What does it mean? That's bizarre. There were a lot of theories as to what the white paint meant. They, some people thought it, uh, that it could have been a symbol of death, since in Vietnamese yeah. culture, it's very customary to wear white to a funeral. I was just going to ask. Because white is, like, a symbol of, like, solemn, like you know, passing through to the other side. Yeah, like, so they weren't sure if it was that or they, someone brought up that, I guess, like, a lot of actors in Vietnamese theater often painted their faces white, so maybe it's something to do with that. Their hands, too. Uh, someone else thought that maybe it was um, a client who didn't like their results mm-hmm. and that it was a way to ward off evil spirits. Oh. And then others thought that it might just be a red herring. Oh. So the investigators are looking... What a weird choice, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Very weird. Investigators were looking through the crime scene, and they found... They actually came across a bunch of jewelry and money that that was hidden throughout the house that these people did not find because they were hidden so well. Okay. They were like, one, one of them found, like... A bunch of jewelry like in the vacuum bag of a vacuum uh. like things like that where it's like you wouldn't necessarily think to look when you're ransacking right. a house looking for jewels so they they had gone through the house and they had pulled out like a bunch of money and jewelry so they kind of surmised that they're whoever, way better ransackers they are way better <laughs> ransackers and whoever did this probably didn't get away with a lot of money okay. because they found a lot of the stuff yeah, but this woman is, like, fucking ballin'. Yeah. But, yeah. The investigators also found a couple of steak knives wrapped in plastic Ooh. that looked like, like they had been washed or at least, like, tried to be washed. And that would, Okay, I just want to say, like, this woman's making, like, a lot of money. Yeah. That would be so stressful to have it all stashed in your house. Yeah. That would just yeah. be so stressful all the time. But she doesn't trust anyone else with her stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, how can you trust, like, banks and shit? But that's mm-hmm. also a very stressful place, a way to live. Definitely. Not so they that found... I would know I have, like, $20 in <laughs> my purse, but I'm lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, so, these, so these steak knives that were wrapped in plastic were, like, kind of under a pile of stuff that had been ransacked. So they were like, maybe they meant to take these, they but they got lost when they were ransacking. Yeah. Because it was weird that they were left there. Um, And after closer inspection, it was confirmed that Anita and Jade had been stabbed to death. Oh, God. Yeah, they had stab wounds on their face, on their faces, (sighs) neck, and hands, indicating they tried to fight back. Um, So investigators knew that it had to have been someone that they... Wait, what? They died from stabbing the face? The face and the neck. And those are the parts that were covered in paint. Right. And the hands. And the hands yeah. covered in paint. Covered too. in paint, yeah. Huh. So then they were like, maybe it's just to, you know, hide evidence. Yeah. Yeah, could they like determine blood type that's been mixed with paint? <laughs> I don't know. So investigators knew that it was probably most likely someone that they knew because there was no forced entry. Uh huh. 
and that whoever did it must have known that Jade hid money and jewelry in her house, so they were they had probably been to the house before. Okay. But other than yeah, that, yeah, but like you go to visit someone's house, they're not gonna be like, oh yeah, this is like stash all my money in here. Well, I'm assuming they knew, like they thought they knew that the perpetrator must have known her because they knew her as someone that was suspicious of banks. Yeah. And that she probably, like, didn't trust them. Except for if that's, like, a common thing in, like, the Vietnamese. Right, so they probably just knew that, like, she probably has got stuff stashed. Okay. Plus, she's making a decent amount of money. Shit ton of money. Doing this, so she's got, and she's getting paid, like, $10,000 in cash. Yeah. She's probably got cash hidden everywhere. Yeah. Um, but they didn't really know, like, that, that was the only lead that they had. They didn't really have any suspects because... Jade and Anita were well-liked in their community. Yeah. And nobody could understand who would want to hurt them or want them dead because a lot of these people, you not used, but they, they, like relied, on they relied on Jade yeah. to tell them what their fortunes were and, like, which business deals to make and which houses to buy and which uh-huh. schools to send their children to and all this stuff. So th- they were like, well, that's bizarre. We don't know who would have done this. Investigators discovered that there were a few missing things from the house. Well, it's crazy, too, to think, like, people are coming from all over uh-huh. to see her. So it could be, like, anyone. Yep. Yeah. Ugh. So she, Jade had... And a, it's all cash. It's not, like, it's not, like, credit card. You can't, like, trace, you know, the last person who saw her through, like, credit cards and hmm. shit. Hmm. Oh, okay, okay. You see, Jade yeah. had a bunch of designer purses and luggage sure. that, were, that were missing, as well as her ID. Ooh. A few cell phones, a couple pieces of jewelry. A few cell phones. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe she had like a business one for her calls and like a pre- personal like one. And maybe so like, much. well, maybe like Anita's cell phone yeah. and Jade's personal cell phone and her work cell phone. Okay. Like that's a couple I cell could phones. See that. Maybe like an international cell phone maybe. or something. So they got a couple cell phones. They got a, a few pieces of jewelry and they got a couple credit cards. Not her credit cards? Jade's credit cards. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the officers notified the banks of what was going on. So she did put some money in banks. Yeah, I guess, like, she... I'm assuming she just had, like, credit cards where she would, like, take, you know, credit out and then pay them back, but she wasn't, yeah. like, keeping, like, a savings well, for account. Some, for some things, you probably need, like, credit cards. I'm sure. I'm sure, like, if right. she's actually, like running a legitimate business she has to pay like business taxes and pay her like yeah. bills and stuff which a lot of stuff is online i mean this is 2005 so it's more, less likely that but i'm assuming you have to have a credit card to buy a house and buy a car and right. all that stuff so she has a line of credit because credit scores are like so important even though they're like pretty new yeah bullshit okay yeah. so like I said, the uh, the investigators contacted the banks, and at first the banks were like, well, we're shutting these cards down because we're not going to pay for all this stuff that's stolen. Yeah. But the officers basically like, begged them. I think that they it. had a couple credit cards, and like a couple, a couple companies were like, no, we're shutting them down. Whoa. But there was like one bank that was like, okay, we'll, we'll keep it open for a little bit, but yeah. like you guys have to pay off whatever the bills are. Basically to see like who's using it. Right. But the cops were like... But they're cops, like... Yeah, they're like, well, we don't really have much money. Like, it, we can pay off, like, up to, like, $200 worth oh. of stuff. But, like, other than that, we're not going to be able well, to pay. Well, I mean... So someone makes, like, a credit card, whatever. Yeah, I guess that's tricky. You can cancel it, but, you but know, you don't have that much time. But the still has to pay it. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
But this one bank was like, okay, we'll keep it open, but you better fucking find this person fast. Yeah, or pay us a shit ton of money just in case. Right. And, yeah, so they were going to use it to, to either, they were hoping that either the actual killer, whoever killed these women, mm-hmm. would use it and then they could find them, or if the person sold the credit card to someone, they could find that person and kind of li- link them back to whoever gave it to them. Right. So they waited and waited for the credit card to be used, and then they got a break when the card was used to make a small purchase in North Carolina. Crazy. Which they think was like a test purchase to yeah. see if the card is still open, because it was like, you know, a bag of chips or something. Right. Like, let's see. If it goes can... through. And it went through. And This so... is so great. Like, they had nothing to go off of, but mm-hmm. like... The hope that someone would use this specific card. Yep. Because they're like so, oh my God, when these coincidences happen, it's like insane. So a few more small purchases were made and then bigger and bigger purchases until the detectives got a lucky break. More than a month after the murders, one of the cards had been used to purchase airline tickets (gasps) from North Carolina to Orange County. What? So Back to the scene of the crime. They got the flight details, and they saw that Jade and Anita were supposedly flying on that flight. What? So when they got to the airport, they were like, well, we're just going to like stake it out, kind of see who this person is that's using her information. Because yeah. again... They're not a hundred, you know, they're not like, oh, this is the murderer. Mm-hmm. Like, this just could be a link to the murderer. So we don't want to spook them. We want to, like, see where they lead us. Yeah. Well, and then 2005 mm-hmm. and going between states, you probably just need, like, an ID. Yep. Right? Like, not a passport or anything. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So her ID had been used. Yeah. So they, the officers got to the airport and they just kind of waited. And they observed a Vietnamese woman and her kids or something like a kid or a couple of her kids they were at the baggage claim and they saw that the baggage that they picked up were these designer designer luggage (gasps) oh my god that were the same ones that jade had been missing from her collection oh my god so they followed her for the day just to make sure that she was the one using the cards yeah and she went on a bit of a shopping spree in Orange County. Well, you can't do that in North Carolina. <laughs> and then they followed her to her hotel where they arrested her for using someone else's credit card. Yes. At this point, the officers think that the card must have been sold to her or something because she's like this unassuming woman with kids on vacation. Right. And there were over, in the month span that she had this credit card, there were over $75,000 in credit card charges. What? Well, the bank said 200 well that no that's what the police said they could pay the bank off fucking a yeah Yeah. that is a shit ton of money so the bank can like now close the car (gasps) because they're like all right we got her or at least we got a lead after a little digging the police are like i'm calling dibs on some of that stuff yeah i like those luggages (laughs) luggages (laughs) luggage lug lug guy Okay. So after a little digging, they found out that the woman's real name was Tanya Jamie Nelson. Tanya grew up in Orange County, and she too was a Vietnamese immigrant who thrived for a while in Little Saigon. She was married and had a business of her own in the community that sold lingerie and gifts. Nice. Fun. Yeah. 
She had been using Jade's fortune-telling service for about 10 years. Okay. She went to Jade for everything. Tanya's shop um, wasn't doing very well at one point, and her and her husband had to file for bankruptcy for that business. And most likely because... I mean, it was most likely because Tanya had other things on her mind besides business. Uh-oh, Tanya. You see, Tanya had been carrying out an on-again, off, on off-again affair with her husband's brother. Ooh. And her husband had no idea. Ooh, Tanya. And because her, her and her husband didn't really have the best marriage. They basically shared a house, but they lived two separate lives, basically. Yeah. And... Nice. She was super into his brother. Uh Uh-oh. So much so that at one time, Tanya had asked Jade to cast a love spell on him. Okay, how do you think this is going to work out? (laughs) And the love spell seemed to work at the time. Well, I thought they were having an affair, wasn't it? Well, they were, yeah. I I mean, I think she was into him, and he was just like, hey, cool. That's fine. Okay, that's your brother's wife. I'm not saying that morals are important to any of these people. <laughs> Fuck. That's just, okay. That's uh, so low. That's so low. But then at one point, the brother-in-law decided that he was going to move to North Carolina. Uh-huh. Probably to get away from Tanya because uh, she's a fucking she's a psycho. psycho. Yeah. But she didn't think that. That she was a psycho? Well, that he was moving to get away from her. Oh, of course not. It was a love spell. Yeah, so she was like... Those are binding. You know, my business is failing here. My lover is gone. So Tanya went to Jade and asked for advice on what to do next. And it seemed like Tanya wanted to hear Jade tell her to go to North Carolina. Yeah, obviously. And I don't know if Jade saw this in the stars or was just like, I'm getting pretty tired of your bullshit. Because, like, Jade was calling her all, or sorry, Tanya was calling her all the fucking time, asking for advice on every little thing. Okay, maybe your business is failing because you're spending $10,000 a pop to get advice. (laughs) Maybe you should invest that in your business. Maybe. Like advertising or something. But, yeah, so Tanya, or um, Jade told Tanya that she saw good fortune for Tanya in North Carolina to go open her lingerie business. Get the fuck out of here. You know, go give these North Carolinans lingerie because that's what they need. I don't think they have lingerie out there. Help them express themselves in other ways. I think they all, uh, I mean, don't they just all wear Get free with it. Ankle length sacks? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know much about other places. So, (laughs) so Tanya tells her husband that the fortune teller told her that she had to move to North Carolina to open up shop because that's where the fortune was. And he was like, okay. He's like, get the fuck out. I'm tired Basically, you too. <laughs> they didn't get a divorce and he was like, I'm going to stay here. You can move out there. We'll be married. Yeah. Whatever. Basically the same as what we have going Pretty on Pretty right much now. the same. And he would visit her twice a year. Damn. <laughs> so. Wow. Now that's a marriage. Yeah. So she just packed her things up and moved to the East Coast. Fuck. She opened her store and, of course, was still involved with her brother-in-law, although he seemed not as interested. Kind of bummed that she Yeah, <laughs> and I think he was looking for an out. Yeah. And at this time, Tanya was growing more demanding of Jade as she wanted readings over the phone all the time. Her business began failing yeah, in North Carolina. Yeah, how is she affording this? I don't know. And her lover decided to move to Georgia. <laughs> Again, I'm... 
convinced that he moved to get away from her. Yeah. And so she started bugging... He's like, this bitch won't follow me there. <laughs> so she started bugging Jade for more love spells targeted at her brother-in-law. Girl, give it up. By February of 2005, Jade sent a note to Tanya that read, Sorry, basically, sorry, I cannot do this for you. Yes. Like, you might want to just move on. Yeah, if my first love spell isn't working, like, he's stronger than that, so get over it. Move on. Yeah, yeah, basically. She was like, maybe the stars aren't aligned for this. Yeah, this isn't going to work out. But Tanya was like, um, no, I'm in love with him, and he's got to be in love with me. What? Okay, so here's the thing. Her business is failing. She's been getting advice from Jade for all these all this time, and she's still seeing Jade, even though she's like, help me with my business, and Jade's like, here's what you gotta do, and then she does it, or whatever, and then she's like, it's still failing, but I'm still gonna ask. Like, find a different fortune teller, then. But the love spell worked the first time. It just wore off. It wore off. You see, by this time... The brother-in-law had moved to Georgia, and he was with a new girlfriend. Uh-oh. And Tanya was not happy. No. Uh-oh. She had heard that they were engaged. <gasps> so she was pissed. She- I just, like, okay. <laughs> I just don't understand how people get so obsessed with people. And you like- think that it's you're going to, like follow like stalk them and harass them and they're gonna like magically fall in love with you again yeah and then also like okay people everyone has their own like fucked upness you know no one's Mm -hmm. perfect why do these people get this idea that that person is like perfect for them i just maybe i'm just like cynical or whatever but i just no i think that there's something completely missing in their brain there has to be for example oh (laughs) she told the brother-in-law, mm-hmm. her lover, that she was going to kidnap his fiance and cut off her fingers and mail them back to him one by one. And he's like, you're so funny. He's like, oh, you're so hot. Why did I ever give that up? What the fuck? She even found out where the fiance's house was in Georgia, went there and spray painted on the house Lovely phrases such as cocksucker and lover boy run before she sucks you dry. Which is, that's a lot of spray paint. Ew. That's like a whole phrase. That's, first of all, gross. (laughs) Second of all, what the fuck? She even went so far as to break into the fiancé's house when no one was home. This is terrifying. She went through a photo album and stole a picture of her brother-in-law lover. (laughs) okay we've talked about this before where it's like you get in a relationship with someone it's going great you're engaged you're so happy and then someone breaks into your fucking house (laughs) what do you do goodbye like what the fuck even after they got married she hired a private investigator to follow the new wife around and report her movements throughout the day wait did she move to georgia or no she's in north carolina she just hired him to follow her Oh, my God. That's so scary. So, obviously, she's not spending time on her business, so it's failing. (laughs) And then eventually she lost... businesses don't run themselves? Yeah, and then eventually she lost her house. And now she's upset. Well, yeah, she's spending a bunch of money on, like, private investigators and trips to Georgia and this (laughs) psychic that she's mad at. Yep. Fuck. 
But now she's upset, but not at herself for her own failings. Of course not. But at Jade, who had predicted that if she moved to North Carolina, her business would succeed. Misguided. And also that she didn't give her another love spell, so... Obviously. Obviously. It's her fault. Like, if she'd just yeah, given her the love spell, none then of this she'd be happened. happily in love with the dude, and he'd be in love with her, and then her business would succeed. Yep. So in April of 2005, Tanya convinced her friend's husband, Felipe Zamora... How does she have friends? She sounds crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she convinced him to travel with her to Orange County. Felipe's wife had also been a long-standing client of Jade's, and they all lived in North Carolina. Okay. Apparently, not sure if this is common knowledge, but Tanya told Felipe that if he went with her to Orange County, that she could find him men to have sex with. <gasps> so he's either gay or bi. And That's how she bribes him? Yes, and either somehow... It's your friend's husband. Well, and either somehow Tanya found out about this Good. and was using no tanya oh the, fuck sorry no, she's the, the one that's like wife. i'll yeah, yeah, yeah. get you sexy men's oh she found out about him being so i well I'm, it's, it's unclear if it was a secret that she just found out about and was yeah. either using it as like a i'll find you these things just come with me yeah. it'll be a hush hush your wife won't know or if she was like i know these things i'm gonna help you hook up but also i'm gonna blackmail you I mean, why not? Yeah. Yeah. But it's unclear. All right. Either way, he agreed to go with her. Oh, boy. To go see the fortune teller and then to have some fun booty calls. Oh, God. She apparently told him... Why do you need her help with that? How hard is it to, like, go to the OC on your own and, like, get on Grindr? She's a very, very, like, meek, submissive guy who just... Were dating apps not a thing in 2005? They were. They're just, like, not as many. I think okay cupid i think was a thing uh get on your okay cupid but from what i understand like he was very like unassuming like meek guy who just like barely could stand on his own too like he had to have other people tell him how to live and uh-huh. what to do and find him dudes and find him dudes heck well also he uh only speaks vietnamese oh no so i think it was like language sh- barrier yeah, yeah. issues right yeah, you're in like little. Well, I don't know. I don't know how accepting the Vietnamese are of gay people. Are, yeah. So yeah, I don't I'm know not if sure. You go to like Little Saigon and. Probably not. I'm assuming she was just gonna like find him some people in Orange County. And then allegedly, speak for him. Allegedly. <laughs> Who knows? My friend doesn't speak English, but he would like to have sex with you, please. Yeah. 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 It's the language of love. <laughs> so she apparently told him that they were going to go to Jade's house and that she wanted to rob Jade because Jade owed her for all the bad predictions that she made about her life. So yeah, they it wasn't ha- her fault for... No. Okay. So they had an appointment with Jade for the day of so the murder. So he's like, yeah? He's like, sure, as long as I can go booty call with these... Yeah, let's go rob this woman. Again... He's, like, a kind of person that, like, if he's told to do something, it seems like he just does it. Oh, no. Okay. So they had an appointment with Jade for the day of the murder, and Jade had known both Tanya and Felipe, so she, of course, was like, of course, come see me. Come mm-hmm. in my house. She invited them in. Anita was also home. And after the reading was over... 
Tanya asked Jade to call Anita into the kitchen because she wanted to say goodbye since, you know, she had known them for over 10 years and she was going to head back to North Carolina. And so Jade was like, okay, yeah, like, say goodbye to me and my daughter. And when Anita was about to enter the kitchen, Tanya grabbed a steak knife that was laying on the counter and began stabbing Anita over and over again. Oh, my God. Which, of course, prompted Jade to scream. Yeah. And Tanya looked at Felipe and yelled at him, Kill her! Kill her! Don't let her scream! What the fuck, Felipe? Felipe said he picked up a wine bottle and hit Jade in the shoulder to try and subdue her. But And then he, like, knocked her to the ground and wrestled her and then began stabbing her repeatedly with Why? two knives. He said, it happened so quickly, I, I didn't want to hear her scream. What the fuck is wrong with him? Then, after the women, the women were murdered, they tried to wash the knives off and clean themselves up. Tanya even took a shower. Bitch. They then began looking for the loot. Like I said, Tanya had known that there were lots of expensive jewelry. Okay, and... so she's like, I'm going to go rob this person. I made an appointment to go see them. Not mm-hmm. like I'm going to wait for them and be gone and just rob them. So mm-hmm. clearly she clearly planned on she, murdering oh, them. Yes, yes. And then she like brings the daughter in on it. Ugh. So what the fuck, Felipe? Um, and one, Tanya. One source said that like they thought that the re- the reason that she called the daughter in was because since the daughter was familiar with them and knew of the appointments and stuff and knew they were coming to town, that she could she could identify them basically. So they were like, we got to get her out of the picture. Yeah, or was it to kill a woman's daughter in front of her and well, then murder her? Definitely that, too. Ugh. Definitely that. Like, you fucked up my life. You get to watch well, your did, daughter be murdered. Did Jade have, like, a, an appointment book or whatever where she'd, like, put people's names in? Unclear. Okay. I didn't see anything that said that. I assume how hard she did, would it be? but, like, yeah, okay, never mind. But I don't, I don't know. It just sounds like she wanted to murder them both. She definitely did, 100%. And not just to cover her own ass, just because she was, like, evil and out of her goddamn mind. A hundred percent. Okay. Like I said, Tanya knew that there was expensive jewelry and money hidden, but she obviously didn't know where it was hidden because they didn't really find anything. Because she's not psychic. Not psychic. And then sometime in the scuffle of looking for treasures, the plastic wrapped knives were either misplaced or Tanya left them on purpose since they were the knives that Felipe used. And would implicate him and not her if they were to be found. Oh. Also, you're not going to get those on a plane with you after 9-11. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're not traveling back with those. They then went to Walmart and bought a gallon of white paint. Oh. They used it to try and cover evidence on the bodies. Yeah. And they chose white because it was the cheapest. Oh. (laughs) That sucks. That's just like a real fuck you. Yeah. Also, Walmart sells paint? Apparently. Oh. Like house paint? I guess. Oh. Obviously, we don't really know much about Walmart. Okay. <laughs> buy local. Don't buy from Walmart. Yeah, buy local, especially like it's now pandemic time. Support small business. Don't buy Amazon. Don't buy Walmart. Buy like local. If you want to support an awesome small business, you should check out Humble Bee Herbal. They're a very small business, and they make all of their things like from scratch, and they're small all good batch. ingredients, no chemicals, no SLS, no weird like dyes and shit, like or additives. It's yeah, all natural. Check them out. 
You will love it. Your skin will love it. The Check them out. The earth will love it. Humblebeeherbal.com. That's humblebeeherbal.com. Use code CRIMEDY20 at checkout. Humblebeeherbal.com. So anyway, they went back to the house with the paint, and Felipe said that he couldn't look at Anita, like, her face, because it uh, obviously, like, was looking yeah. back at him. So that's why he covered her face with a black t-shirt. Remorse. Yeah. And then he poured paint on their heads and arms. Then they got on a flight home that same day. Are they covered in blood? Well, she took a shower. What'd he do? I don't know. Maybe they both took a shower. I don't know. But, um, you know, they're on their flight home. And Tanya told Felipe that Jade basically deserved it because her fortune telling was not accurate. And that Uh, Anita was basically complicit in her mother's crimes since um, that she committed against Tanya. So she deserved to die as well. God, what a fucking horrible person. Investigators made their way to North Carolina or or the North Carolina police investigated her house. And inside they found a day planner belonging to Tanya in her home. And on the day of the murder, April 21st, 2005... She had written, horrible sin. (laughs) I mean, that's the understatement of the century. They also found a receipt for an airline ticket for the same day as the murders um, on her same flight for a man named Felipe Zamora. Oh my god. So now they had another suspect. So both Tanya and Felipe were arrested and brought to court for their trial. Uh, like, Tanya was arrested in Orange County at her hotel, and Felipe Wait. was arrested in North Carolina. Both brought to California to do their trial. Um, Felipe agreed to plead guilty to two felony murder counts. Wow. Um, in exchange for his testimony against Tanya. And he received 27 years to life. Yeah. In, I believe, San Quentin. Oh. He testified through a Vietnamese interpreter. Yeah. That he joined Tanya on the trip because she promised that she would introduce him to men for sex. They were going to Jade's house for a reading and possibly rob her, but that's all that he was told. That's still enough. Like, the, okay, someone's like, hey, <laughs> let's go to Orange County. I will find you some dude to hook up with. Also, we're going to, like, rob someone on the way. You're like, uh, wait, hold up, what? Uh, Did you say sexy men? Uh-huh. I'm in. Wait, but robbery... <laughs> I don't know. That's why I feel like maybe no one else knew about his affinity for men and that she was going to be like, look, if I'm going to do this for you and I'm not going to tell anyone that you're just, hooking I up with men. I still feel like someone that you know, your wife, like, goes to of them. Of course. Like, why are you going to agree to robbery? But, like I said. How desperate are you? He was a very submissive man and it seemed that Tanya had all the power over him. And Tanya's attorney argued that Felipe acted alone and that Tanya was never at the house. Wow, because he had motive? Yeah. She tried to tell the court that she had never met Jade in person and only did over-the-phone readings. How are you going to say that? Yeah. And she had certainly never been to Jade's house before. (laughs) But... Except for the times that she lived in Orange County. Yeah. Yeah, and your 10-year relationship with this woman. Mm -hmm. The seven-woman, five-man jury deliberated for about a day before finding Tanya Jamie Nelson, 46, of Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, 
guilty on February 16th of two felony counts of special circumstances murder. Mm -hmm. The special circumstances being the murder of multiple victims, murder by lying in wait, and Mm. murder during the commission of a robbery. Mm. Tanya is the second woman ever to receive the death penalty in Orange County on April 23rd, 2010. Both California cases, both death penalty cases. Crazy. And I guess the she deserved I guess the judge too. said something like, and you're going to sp- spend the rest of your life until you're put to death in San Quentin. And then yeah. someone was like, um, San Quentin is the men's prison. Uh-huh. Like, ah, I mean, uh-huh. you will be sent Wherever the to women this go. women's prison. <laughs> wow. Okay, I'm like not necessarily for the death penalty, but both these cases, like, they deserved it. Yeah. Trash humans. Yeah, horrible, horrible, horrible. Well, that was a fun week. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. So, yeah, I think she was a tossed salad because, like, what the fuck? But well, definitely. She's planning everything out. But and... you're right, though. Like, people who get so obsessed with one person, like, there's something wrong. Like, there's something wrong. Yeah. Especially when the person has shown you numerous times in different ways that I'm yeah. not interested. Like, I'm fucking moving wanna... to different states. I moved to two different states to get away from you and you're still following me. Why do you want to be with someone who doesn't want to be with you? I don't understand that. Because they just don't understand. Once they understand that we're meant to be together, they'll fall in love. But clearly you're not meant to be together if they don't want to be with you. I just don't get it. I I don't know. That's <sighs> so scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I had no idea that the Vietnamese culture was very, it was so into fortune telling and that they make a lot of their decisions based on it. Yeah. Well, she must have been like pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah. The stars didn't lie to her. Well, like she told her numerous times, like, I don't think that this is going to work, but she, but she was like demanding, like, you got to make a love spell. You got to do this. You got to uh-huh. do that. And she was like, well, you're my client. Like, I'm basically, I'm going to make money off of you. You're my client, but also I've told you numerous like, times. Like, if you want a love spell, I'll give you a love spell, and like maybe you should move on. <laughs> yeah, and they they think that her telling Tanya that basically like this is it, you got to move on. Yeah, like, this is not this is not a line in the stars, and then that was what made her like snap and like what you can't even though it's like your fortune teller is telling you like obviously this is not your fortune. Yeah. This is not your path. And Yeah. And like I told you to, you know, move to North Carolina. And you want a different fortune, go see a different teller then, yeah. you know? Like go find someone that you can pay to say what you want them to say. But because in the culture it's supposed to be like accurate and it's supposed to be Right. You they know, pro- real you readings and it's like someone. go find like an American fortune teller who will say I'm like, not gonna like, trust you. What you want them to say. But that's not the point. The point is you're not supposed to say to that they're not American. I should these... rephrase that. Go tell, like, a white... <laughs> go a get a white fortune from, like, a white person. No, they're not going to trust that because <laughs> they don't know the different... Because um, the Vietnamese fortune-telling is, like, different. They, they use... I, I can't remember what it was called. Some other... Some... They use a couple different methods yeah. that I think are not... Well, yeah, and, like, astrology is such a... Such a... Um, subjective I guess like mm-hmm. people can look at a chart and see like totally different things so mm-hmm. they must have their own their own like training with, with yeah the there's chart there are different yeah there's like different and 
and like they're so respected and stuff and these people have you know studied yeah the ways of fortune telling and the stars reading and yeah. all the different things to be accurate she's like look girl i cannot change the stars in the sky they are what they are basically you gotta like get over she it she was like no you're my fortune Just teller move you the tell me the fortunes that i want <laughs> jeez change the sky so yeah yeah Fuck. those are both awful I know, these poor, and poor, I mean, poor Jade and Anita, but poor Anita, who, like, was just trying to finish up her schooling, yeah. was living with her mom, doing okay, she yeah. just, ugh, wrong place, poor wrong both time. both of them. But like, yeah. what the fuck? And to trust these people in your home, because, yes. like, they've been there multiple times, they've both gotten readings. Like, his wife well, had gotten readings multiple times. She's been, like, a psychic for how long and has had people come into her house. And it's been, like, you know, she clearly trusted that people, like, respect her. And she was, like, loved in the community. Like. Yeah. Oh. And then some, like, one of the sources on Murderpedia, Murderpedia was, like, but do you think that she predicted her own death because oh, she's a fortune on. teller? And it's like, oh, God. First of all, she's, like, working for... It's kind of like the thing where it's, like, when you do a job, you don't really do it for yourself so much, I feel like, you know? Yeah, yeah probably. I feel like who, like she's looking at people's fucking star charts all day. She's not going to want to look at her own. Right? Crazy. Crazy. Sad. Very sad. Shitty people. Shitty people. Like, just... Like, okay, live your own shitty life to yourself. Like, leave everyone else alone. Right. Sick of people interfering with other people's lives. And now for the portion that we like to call Crimey 6. Where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. I got this information <laughs> from policemag.com. David Blackman, 32, called 911, identified himself as a drug dealer, oh. and proceeded to report that, ca were that cash and cocaine <laughs> had been stolen from his car Sunday, according to a Facebook post. Just say cash! By the Okaloosa County, Florida Sheriff's Office. A deputy responded to the scene, at which point Blackman told him that $50 and a quarter ounce bag of cocaine had Ooh. been stolen from the car's center console. Reports... Why are you going to leave <laughs> that much cocaine in your car? Well, I mean, maybe he was on his way to sell it. Fuck. The deputy searched the vehicle and found the cocaine in the same spot from where it had been reported stolen. <gasps> he also found a crack pipe on the floor and a crack rock near the cocaine. Oh, no. Blackman was arrested and charged with possession of cocaine, resisting arrest without violence, and possession of drug paraphernalia. Okay, you're so <laughs> cracked out that you can't even see the cocaine anymore? Dude. It's like, it's gone. I gotta call the police. Fuck. It's gone. Got you. Oh, this is a weird one. Okay. This is from msn.com. A bizarre report from Slow... From Slovakia news outlet Novini SK says a man robbing a gas station was apprehended 
after an unidentified woman began to satisfy the thief orally until the cops arrived. What? The robbery reported reportedly began when a 24-year-old man in the capital city of Bratislava approached a service station employee demanding money and making death threats. After cleaning out the cash register, the thief allegedly began punching the worker. (gasps) The battered employee then went to a back room where he informed another employee what was happening. That person fled through a back door and called police. Yeah. According to an English translation of the Novini SK News page, under mysterious circumstances, an unknown lady came, came inside this entrance within a few seconds. News station TV JOJ reported that when police arrived, the robber and the unidentified 36-year-old woman were partially naked on the floor. What the fuck? She reportedly told law enforcement something along the lines of, I don't take him anymore. It's not known whether the woman was forced to perform the sex act, but the alleged robber resisted arrest, but was taken into custody. I am so confused. Yeah, I don't know. He was robbing the place and either she got all hot and bothered and was like, Uh yes. Yeah, like, did she know him? Or she was like, oh, I'm going to help detain this man. And then why is she still unknown? Like, did they, maybe there's like a connection? Yeah, or maybe she took her civic duty, like, very she seriously. Did. She was like, this is, I'm she, shutting this shit down. This is the only down. way to keep this dude He's here until stay the police here. get yeah, here. Yeah, of course. What the fuck? Of course. Wow. All right, well, on that note... On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in and checking us out. Hopefully our audio is getting a little bit better. We're still working on it. We're, We're learning. It. It's We're a learning. learning process. We're just here to learn and to make each other say, what the fuck did you just read to me? Yeah. This week was a rough one, guys. It's always a rough one. Do some self-healing. Yep. After take, this. Self-care. Take care of yourself. Buy yourself some wonderful lotions or soaps. Take a nice bath. From HumblebeHerbal.com. So Check out off. our sponsor. Take a nice soaking bath. They have some nice bath salts. Not that kind. Oh, no. But the kind that you can soak in the tub and feel good about yourself. Rate, review, subscribe. Coming over to Heavy Breathe. By their uncle, father, husband.